WAPG Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 281. From our side of the cockpit door, I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from our Charlotte studio, number 250, in Charlotte, North Carolina. In this episode, we're going to talk about uh, the laptop ban that uh, policy has ended for good. Uh, past gas forces passengers to evacuate an airplane. More news, your feedback, and the latest Plaintail segment, Wooden Wonders and Aluminium Overcast Part 2. So get all settled in. Stray tables. Ah, you got me. <laughs> Stray tables and seat backs in their upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. Flight 281 is ready for pushback. I can't believe I had a, uh, what, what is you that? A, uh, a perfect streak going. What's the guy's name uh, in? Oh, uh, you had a, a Ron Burgundy Ron moment. Ron Burgundy moment. Ron Burgundy. I was going to say a Ron Jeremy Ron, don't moment. Say, it was I, not a Ron Jeremy. <laughs> I, haven't, no. I haven't had one of those moments in a long time. Uh, anyway, so uh, great to have you with us on the Airline Pilot Guy Show. Um, it is an aviation podcast, and I am a captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier. And joining me today... Right next to me, as a matter of fact, is a doctor. 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 Psychiatry. Doctor. 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 And a marathon runner, a skydiver. Of course, uh, we all know the uh, honorary uh, Miss World 2017 Mm -hmm. and much, much more doctor stuff. Well, thank you. I fly airplanes, too, sometimes. That's right. Commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot. <laughs> that's the most important part of all that, isn't it? That's, I think that's how I'm related to this show, actually. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm mostly here for the beer and camaraderie. So There you go. Uh, but, yeah, you right. really don't want to be here for the aviation. <laughs> Not stuff. so much, no. Just because, no, you know, our approval uh, or um, accuracy rating is almost to 50%. The, hey, I'll take that. Yeah. Glass is half full right there. We, ha- we stumbled a little bit a couple episodes yeah. ago. <laughs> A bit. <laughs> really dropped down quite a bit, but we're we're moving on up. That's right. We're oh. we're upping our standards here, up yours, and joining us from across the pond, a professional photographer, former fighter pilot, a long haul Airbus pilot, extraordinaire, Captain Nick Anderson. Hi there, Jeff. Hi, Steph. Lovely to be joining you from. Uh, here in uh, lovely Blighty, it's pitch black outside, but we don't care. We're going to plow on till the wee hour. Excellent. You know, we hear that you do some of your best work at night. <laughs> so. Yep, I can <laughs> snore with the best of them. <laughs> and also joining us from the lovely suburb suburbs of Atlanta, we have a Harley Davidson driver, rider, operator. I'm not sure what the right word is. A uh, former regional jet pilot and now mainline Acme pilot, soon to be captain, Captain Dana. Good evening, all. Great to be back once again this week. Looking forward to another great show and and joining the crew. And um, wish I was there in Charlotte so we could do another repertoire from a couple weeks ago. But if if not, at least online together. So uh, we'll have fun tonight and. And thank you for having me once once again. 
You are welcome. And by the way, this is the the exact same room that we did that show. Just to, I was wondering why I was having so much deja vu. Yeah, that's why. Hmm. Yeah. And you've done a show with me a couple times too. Maybe that's part of it. That might be. Yeah. Lots of deja vu. Yeah, lots of deja vu or vuja day. Your choice. All right. Well, we're going to do something a little bit different on this episode. We're going to jump right on into the news and then we're going to catch up with what's been going on with everybody. So take it away. Stand by for news. The U.S. ends the laptop ban with Saudi Arabia becoming the last airline whose customers are now, again, allowed to carry their laptops and other electronic devices on board U.S.-bound flights. In June, the U.S. uh, issued the new revised security measures directive for all airlines that operate U.S.-bound flights. The laptop ban was lifted for the carriers who follow and implement them. The new security requirements demand stricter baggage screening. In practice, these measures include the installing of explosives trace detection measures such as explosive detecting scanners or bomb-sniffing dogs at the airports. So the uh, last airline to comply with all these enhanced screening procedures was, or not the airline, but the country, Saudi Arabia, and now it's lifted for everyone. So, yay, I guess that's good news. Uh, Doesn't really impact me because I don't do that kind of flying, but uh, I'm sure that there are a lot of people flying those airlines from those dester, those those origins i guess in mm-hmm. uh, the middle east are probably pretty happy now that they don't have to put their i'm sure devices happy that not all of their electronics are going together yeah. in the cargo hold all piled one on top of another <laughs> yeah now, I, I need to be clear yeah. uh, neville uh, i said bomb sniffing dogs not bomb sniffing dogs that's it's something entirely different and and we're going to actually talk about Something, a news article next uh, that that a bum sniffing dog would probably come in handy. Yeah, that would have been useful. Yes, (laughs) it may have prevented a catastrophe. Anyway, so uh, what do y'all think? Uh, Is that good news, bad news? Do you care? Should we move on? What? Kind of indifferent. I do care, actually. I I think it's a a good thing because, uh, you know, having all those lithium ions in the the belly of an airplane that we can't control if they they light off uh, would be would be a bad thing. So I think it's a, a good move on the the part of the security folks. Yes. And speaking of lighting off, <laughs> we'll move on to our next story. Uh, let's see. A person who, quote, passed gas on an American Airlines plane. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you say something? No, I didn't say anything. Okay. Continue. I thought, sorry. I had a I little sneeze. I thought you said ca- Captain. Okay. It's a sneeze. Um, okay. On I'm sun- drinking beer. I have a lot to get. On Sunday afternoon, forced all passengers off the jet, officials said. The incident happened when passengers on the flight became ill with nausea and headaches, according to a spokesperson with the Raleigh-Durham International Airport. The flight, which is not identified by RDU officials, landed at the airport around 4 p.m. when the incident was reported. All the passengers were taken off the plane, and after the incident was investigated, it was determined that a passenger passed gas, the official said. Now, 
I should be mentioning where I'm getting all these uh, articles. Where did this one come from? Fox Charlotte, Charlotte, Charlotte Observer. Oh, Charlotte Observer. Right here in Charlotte. North yeah, Carolina. it happened in Raleigh, Durham. So not okay. not too far away. Yeah. So um so the of course immediately uh everybody uh connected uh, to the APG community uh was was tweeting about this wondering about uh, if anybody had seen Captain Al. Um and perhaps he was over here in the US uh non-rev non-rev traveling mm-hmm. with us and he uh had maybe one too many curries. Entirely plausible. But uh, so I'm thinking to myself when I was reading this, seriously, you had to evacuate. Is that what they said? They had to. Well, they, they didn't evacuate it, did they? They uh, it says it passengers they became, became Ill. Ill. Yeah. With- so what exactly? I mean, I've I've smelled some pretty nasty um, emissions. But it's <laughs> a nice way. Of but I'm it. thinking, like, really? I mean, how bad does it have to be to actually get sick? Really? I don't know. Now I've never. Mm. No, trust me. Or you know, give me a break because I've never been in the kitchen, the kitchen studio in uh, the PT UK, UK headquarters with Captain L after he uh, has. Nick has been there. Relieved pressure. What do you Correct. think, Nick? Can you tell us uh, what kind of experience that is? <laughs> Where have I been? In the kitchen studio uh, <laughs> recording PT UK with Captain L uh, present. Ah, no. Luckily, it was in the bedroom studio. We oh, were. okay. So not quite as bad as the kitchen studio. Okay. We, and we positioned uh, Cap now, uh, and he was and facing room. inwards, but he was adjacent to the door. Okay, okay. So there was a good source of ventilation there? There was, there was. Okay. But uh, no, to be fair, uh, he was uh, he did turn pink at times, uh, but he was being trying to be a gentleman about it. So mm-hmm. I was very impressed. And to be clear, we love Captain Al. Oh yeah, and we're just we are, yes. He but he he kind of pokes fun at himself, he does. doesn't he? Yeah, uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah. Well, no, I don't. I don't know. I've seen people become physically uh, ill from noxious smells in the past. I've witnessed that in person from yeah animal related odors. Um, mm-hmm. However, uh, you know, I'm just reading a little bit of what Micah is saying, and that perhaps. In some follow-up reports, there was uh, some evidence that it wasn't related to past gas at all, but something well, different. Yeah, I'm, so. I'm reading that exactly now, which says yeah. the incident allegedly started when passengers on the flight became ill with nausea and headaches spurred by a foul-smelling odor. However, American Airlines spokesman categorically denied this report. Oh. So it was and a mystery the flight odor. was not evacuated, and the story is not true says Fartstein uh, in his interview with Mashable. I'm sorry, Feinstein in his interview with Mashable. <laughs> okay. So he said the odor issue nice. was due to a mechanical fault, not past gas. Okay. So apparently now our accuracy rating has dipped down again. Well, I don't think it was our accuracy, accuracy rating, to be fair. Yeah, but yeah. we kind of uh, perpetuated this uh, mm. this misinformation. But it's such a good story. This, yeah, is, this we, is fake yeah. news yes, is what it, it is. is. It is. This is fake news right here. I mean, sorry. The, yeah. I'm sorry that we're Absolutely. participating in that. I really am. <laughs> oh, well. I mean, I've caused, several guys, I've caused several guys in, in the cockpit to put the oxygen mask on. So, you have yeah, caused there, it? There is, yeah. Dana. Oh yes, yes. You're one I, of those I've guys. To, uh, well, you know, I've got my. No, I am not uh, fumes. If if you know who I'm talking about, but 
You're talking about the uh, the the, uh, the vegetarian uh, young lady. Yes. Okay. The vegetarian. Uh, the vegetarian. Yes. Um, I'm talking about that. And uh, but uh, poor poor Gary, who you just had on a uh, a uh, a guest uh, appearance when you were in on Pittsburgh the, on the meetup and um, yeah, yeah. And, and, no, meet up in, in Pittsburgh. Um, yeah, he he uh, had to wear the oxygen mask. It was that bad. So. Wow. Okay. Well. Yeah. I guess uh, sometimes you just have to relieve pressure and, Mm -hmm. but there are some people that don't really care and they just relieve pressure just here and there and everywhere. And uh, they don't really care. It's only natural. You can ask the doctor sitting right to your right and ask her about the natural occurrence of having to release gas. It's natural. I'll leave it at that. Natural. There you go. Well, thank you. I'm glad I had a doctor to tell me that. (laughs) Thank you, Steph. You're welcome. Doctor, I mean. That'll be $100. Oh, shoot. (laughs) Okay, let's move on. In case of beer. We've had enough of that one. Uh, I thought this was an interesting thing. I'm thinking, huh, okay, let's see. Maybe you'll think it's interesting as well, I hope. (laughs) Uh, Fellow passengers on a flight from Beijing to Shanghai on Sunday morning were more than a little perturbed when their takeoff was delayed by several hours after a kid somehow managed to sneak on board without a ticket. Just before taking to the skies, cabin crew aboard the uh, Junayao Airlines flight discovered the miniature fare dodger during their final passenger checks. Apparently, the four-year-old girl had managed to sneak past the security checkpoint and the boarding gate with help from her family of two adults and two more children. Afterward, all passengers were boarded uh, or ordered off the plane and forced to go through security again while the family was detained. The flight finally took off about five hours later than scheduled. Blame for the incident is being passed around on Chinese social media from the little girl's sneaky family to incompetent airport security. And uh, let's see, however, this airline uh, released a statement earlier today that said that the family would not be charged with any wrongdoing by China's Civil Aviation Authority. According to the statement, the little girl's parent thought that she, since she was under 120 centimeters, she did not need a ticket. <laughs> of course, everyone over the age of two <laughs> needs a ticket and toddlers under two still need. A, a, so I guess, you know, she thought it was like one of those rides. Yeah, you, you like must be this tall to ride. <laughs> but in this case, you must be this tall to pay. Yeah, I, it's sure. an easy mistake to be made, yes. of course. You're I'm not, a, you're course. not a regular traveler, That's, you know. I thought sure. that was pretty cool that she came up with that. I, I thought you had to be it's a uh, good excuse. <laughs> this this tall. To, Honestly, I wasn't well, he, trying to sneak my third child yeah, onto the plane or anything. I just thought there was, you know. <laughs> yeah, they didn't put the kid in size wise, obviously. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is baggage, right? Like they can just go yes. overhead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Boink. So do you see a lot of that on Acme Red, uh, Captain Nick? Yeah, we always have to check the uh, hat racks. That's the usual place. The hat racks, yes, of course. (laughs) Got to move the chickens out of the way. Okay. Exactly. Uh, Enough of that story. Uh, The rare Lockheed L-1011 TriStar returns to the skies once more. Uh, There's a picture, a beautiful picture of uh, an L-1011 painted up in um, livery that says TriStar Experience. The Lockheed L-1011 TriStar was a plane with a tragically short lifespan. It was expected to be a real contender against the Boeing 747, Douglas DC-10, and Airbus A300. It entered the market late in large part due to delays resulting from some British engine manufacturer named Rolls-Royce, the only engine producer for the TriStar. Despite this, it is one of just a few airliners that elicits strong emotion from people of all ages and walks of life. Yes, we're talking about 
Carlos Stebbings. Yeah. Yes, Stebbings. Um, it was and, received. And my brother, who used to uh, work on them as an engineer. Yeah. Said, well, well, I think he called them the Death Star. Oh, that's not fair. In, in all honesty, I'm, I'm, a, I'm also a tri-style lover. It's actually my favorite aircraft that has ever flown in the skies commercially. Well, that makes that's three. Awesome. How many more? How many more? <laughs> There's got to be more. It's a, it's, it was way ahead of its time. It, yeah, it, was, it really it was, was way ahead of its time, and it's a, it's a great aircraft. I'm uh, amongst it was uh, a VRB uh, 211. Yeah. I'm amongst, um, uh, I guess, uh, well, I, there were probably thousands of people that ended up you know, crewing on the mm-hmm. airplane, but I'm, I count myself as a very lucky person that I was able to actually fly the airplane for three years. And, uh, and it's I'm still jealous. the best airplane I've ever flown. I don't think I ever had I'm the pleasure of flying of at a TriStar. Really? No. Oh, you missed it. I know. I'm trying I've to been, think. I've been know. on the TriStar many times and flew the simulator quite a bit, actually. Mm-hmm. I just love that aircraft. It's the best aircraft. And and I'm jealous of you, Jeff, because, I mean, I would love to have flown that aircraft. It's, it was you know, I mean, not another aircraft. It really was. You know, a lot of people think that, you know, we're, maybe we're exaggerating, the, those of us who have. And, and, and I was very reluctant. I reluctantly uh, acknowledged uh, that after having flown the 727 for quite some time and upgrading to the L-1011, uh, my, my good friend told me, oh, this is, you know, this is better than the 727. And I said, no, there's no way that anything could be better than the 727. And then, you know, begrudgingly, after about a month of flying the airplane, I thought, you know what? He's right. I had to admit it. There it's you a good go. Airplane. Yeah. Beautifully engineered. Um, and it was ahead of, ahead of its time, for sure. Uh, this organization, um, I believe, based in Kansas City, uh, the people behind TriStar Experience, they're an all-volunteer organization, have worked tirelessly for years to source and restore unique and special aircraft for the purposes of inspiring the next generation of STEM, which stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, <coughs> Math Workers. Oh, somebody fell down. Are you okay? <laughs> uh, did you just destroy your uh, your MacBook, your laptop, uh, Dana? Oh, no. Oh, this is not good. <laughs> There's a lot of editing going to happen. <laughs> We're just worried about Dana's so, new computer at this point. Yeah, I'm looking at him on the video. And, mute, uh, mute Dana. Um, uh, I really think the, that I think he knocked uh-oh. his beer over I think so onto too. his laptop. I guess I, he's holding it up like it was like a clink, it. and now there's like you know, oh, oh, it's unfortunate. Whose idea was it to tell him to get a computer like that? Was it mine? I think it was yours. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna give us so mean, Jeff. <laughs> what well, was not? I didn't tell him to drink the beer right next to it. Yeah, we would never do anything like yeah, that. Yeah, I would never do something like that. No, By no, the way, Micah, not. since we're taking a little break here, this is Paradise City Session IPA. However, did you hear that? <laughs> yeah, I heard some screaming in the back. Okay, all kinds of strange noises right now. Um, the beers that you uh, shared with Jeff are in the fridge cooling yep. down for me. I've I have delivered not- them to her today. Yes. So success. The tessellation. And, and the Yerba Mate something or other. Yeah. The uh, uh, ship uh, shipyard. Is that the name of the brewing company? The sh- it's something like ship, that. Ship, ship, not shipwreck. Shipyard, I believe, yes. brewing. Uh, the one that. Um, anyway, it's very good. I, yes. I like that one. I like so I'm looking one. forward to that. But yeah, they learn. were not chilled. And it's about 100 degrees outside. So yeah, it's not, hence we're drinking it's not. low alcohol volume session IPAs that are cold. Right. Good for you. I'm um, going back to the news thing. For yes. Oh, yeah. I yes. sucked gas out of plenty of those. So uh, does that count? Who what? 
Oh, he's talking about air refueling. Gas <laughs> out of plenty <laughs> of those trust cars. I'm sorry. What did you say? <laughs> lost there for a moment. <laughs> have to edit this out as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see what you're saying. Sucked gas. I did some air refueling behind that. Mm. In fact, I seem to recall we were the first operational aircraft uh, to get onto the first TriStar that the Royal Air Force had. And uh, the uh, the hose system wasn't quite uh, up to snuff. It wouldn't work properly. But uh, uh, over the next few years, we, we used it plenty of times. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just looking. Dana's gone. Dana's completely gone. Yeah. He's That's probably so shut the computer off. I'm sure. Well, because well, he's got liquid all over it, I we're guessing he didn't really you mean say these anything. things aren't waterproof. Apparently my not. phone is or it's water resistant. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I have a seven as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seven plus the speaker doesn't work so well if you actually like submerge it and get it wet. Why would you, you do that? <laughs> I mean, afterwards. Well, yeah. you know, if you have if you live by a large body of water or have a hot tub and you go swimming with and you phone. like to use your phone yeah. and social media while you're. And you drop it Enjoying in the water. The, yeah. Ah. But, but it works okay now, right? It's all oh, dried yeah. out? Okay. It yeah. had no problem. That's nice because I used to, when I went out for runs and walks and uh, th- had the chance of getting rained, on, rained upon, I'd always have like a little baggie, plastic baggie with mm-hmm. me to put my phone in. But now I don't have to worry about it. That's right. And I actually do have a life-proof case that I'll put mm-hmm. the phone in when I'm going to be in the water. I have to do something to make sure it doesn't sink, though. Yeah, because... Because it does not float. <laughs> okay. In case you were wondering. Yeah, it should. Life proof. Come on. Yeah. Get Apple. Your, get Apple. Your act together. Apple. Where's your floatable? Make a floating phone. Floating Maybe that's phone. the iPhone 8 will be a floating Ooh, phone. Good idea. Okay. So the uh, the people... <laughs> okay, this is from... Well, you know, one episode is the only time I actually paid uh, enough attention to uh, sources. And now I'm back to my old mm-hmm. bad ways of attribution... From the airlinereporter.com, the people behind TriStar Experience and all volunteer organization have worked tirelessly. 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 Have worked tire tire tirelessly. 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 Okay. The people behind TriStar Experience and all volunteer organization have worked a lot. For years to source and restore unique and special aircraft for the purposes of inspiring the next generation of STEM, which stands for science, technology, engineering, math, workers. This L-1011 joins already completed projects such as the MD-83 November 948TW, also known as Wings of Pride. Readers may recall that the airline reporter was granted exclusive aviation media access of the arrival of TWA's Wings of Pride in 2015. So if you want to read more about this TriStar experience, by the way, I was looking on YouTube and I think I was looking, they were taking off from, um, what was it, Davis Monthan, I think, uh, where the uh, airplane was um, uh, mothballed and then they restored it and they were flying it, I think from there, could be somewhere else, to uh, Kansas City downtown. And on takeoff, they uh, had to they had to shut one of the engines down, and they had to bring it back. So I I'm not sure if it finally made it. Well, I guess it has because it says it's uh, parked now at uh, this Kansas picture City. here, mm-hmm. Kansas City International Airport, Gate 14. Anywho, you want to learn more about this great program and uh, the uh, wonderful airplane, the TriStar, the L1011. Um, we'll 
put the, uh, a link to this article in the show notes and you can read it yourself. A nice looking airplane. It is. It is. And it's, it was fast and comfortable. Except, you know, the flight attendants, though, there's a, it's a mixed bag. Because mm. this airplane, like the um, Mac, uh, McDonnell Douglas DC-10 and MD-11, uh, had a very um, high deck angle when it was cruising. So, so the carts are like the carts, sliding backwards down the aisle? Yeah, and then pushing them uphill, basically. It's like a just getting their workout in. Five, six degrees, nose high. You know, mo- most airplanes, I think. Like two, three? Yeah, about two and a half, two, two and a half, three. I don't know. Right, Nick? Doesn't your airplane yeah, when yeah, you're... Yeah, that's what the Airbus is set at, three degrees. Yeah. So I think most airplanes are like that. But this one was like double that. And and you, as it, when you're flying it, you really didn't notice it until you got you know got up out of your seat to go use the restroom. And they're like, woo! <laughs> <Going. laughs> slam into the bulkhead. Wow, this is really nose high. Anyway, so the uh, if you ask flight attendants who are old enough to have uh, worked on this airplane, you know whether they like the airplane or not, uh, they... Some hated it and some loved it. Yes. Is there somebody? No, I'm sorry. Neville um, just rewound the video to watch Dana and his (laughs) MacBook incident again. said it's a classic. So I'm looking forward to watching that again. Uh, We shouldn't really be joking, but it's really hard not not to laugh about it. (laughs) Sorry, Dana. Yeah. No, I I, hope the chef says he's missing an action. Yeah. In all seriousness, I hope the new computer is no worse for wear. That's 14 days. uh, Oh, yeah. He could just take it back. I don't know. It doesn't work anymore. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I want my money back. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Well, that's all the news I had in the folder. There's probably other stuff going on in the world that's I'm more sure important. But I haven't seen it. Nah. So um, I think that now might be a good time to kind of catch up on, you know, the community here and what we've, uh, the crew and what we've been doing since the last show. And uh, well, I, Dana bought a new computer. <laughs> he did. And, <laughs> Apparently, it's he's going to ha- be in the market again for another new computer. <laughs> it's a sad situation, really. It, it really is a sad situation. Let's just uh, let's just pause for a moment and in, in, in a in silence, just to kind of you know give good thoughts. And prayers, if you are religious, to Dana and his ailing laptop. Here's to the laptop, Dana. Yeah. yeah. Cheers. A toast. Somehow that seems ironic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very. Oh, you notice. Mm. <laughs> okay. Well, Nick, uh, anything uh, happening with you in the last since the last show? Uh, well, yeah, the last show was in San Francisco. Yes. And uh, we had promise of a uh, marvelous day out. At least I had promise of a marvelous day out with Fred. And lo and behold, it all happened. It was brilliant. Uh, we were both a bit weary. Um, so uh, yeah, I had to drag myself out of bed because I've been awake for a long time. And I'm just going to make a big apology now. I actually haven't listened to the last show. And towards the end, my uh, language is becoming very slurred. Uh, and I do apologize for that. I really only had three beers. We've it's all been there. It's okay. <laughs> Don't worry. Speaking from- <laughs> Except for Dr. Steph. She's never been. I, never. Like, no, never. No. <laughs> it's not a huge amount of alcohol, but it was. Uh, I was awake for over 24 hours, and so I think that might have had something to do with it. But I, 
I'm trying to say things, and it's all just blending into one blurb. <laughs> so for those of you who uh, think I'm always like that, it's not true. I Sometimes I'm quite... Actually, we were very impressed with how well you were holding it together. We were thinking if we had been up for that long, we would just be yeah, we as, really were. passed out asleep. Yeah. Yeah. So well, I, was, I don't we, think I really was holding it together. No, no, you did just fine. It yeah. was, it was great. Anyway, um, I was picked up the very next day and uh, whisked off to uh, the Palo Alto airport by um, Fred, who uh, um, piled me into a uh, Cessna 172. Uh, and with the two Rons, um, there was a Ron flying uh, whose name was something a little bit more than Ron, but I, all I can remember now is it was Ron and Ron, as I was, I was introduced. And uh, we did a kind of formation trip. Now, Fred is, is I've come to realize, is, is a real um, stickler for um, doing things properly. Uh, he's he's uh, takes the, all, all his flying very seriously, and we had a proper formation briefing, uh, even though we'd only be like together for 10 or 15 minutes. It was very impressive. And uh, then we launched, uh, all very nice. Uh, it was a small uh, runway at this airport, only about 2,500 feet. So we didn't do a formation takeoff. We did a stream takeoff. And then uh, caught up very quickly, in a turn after takeoff and then moseyed on over to some uh, clear airspace where we did uh, some bunting and stunting uh, as a pair, uh, which was fabulous. And very nice. You were with the camera taking pictures of us, and I, of course, was t were taking pictures of them. So if you do go to the Facebook page, the Alan Pilot Guy uh, Facebook page, you'll find uh, an album there of uh, all those air to air photographs, at least mine anyway. Um, the Rons were just as good. And then uh, we split apart and uh, Fred took me over. We were hoping to do the little tour around San Fran then, but um, we went basically went straight across to uh, Nut Tree, which is an airport very near to Travis Air Force Base. And uh, from there we, we climbed out and uh, Lieutenant Mitch Green was uh, sitting there waiting for us. And uh, as we parked up, he came strolling around to us and uh, we also had a low and Mitch took us to Travis uh, and uh, Mitch is a C-17 pilot and uh, uh, after a quick phone call we all just strolled onto the flight line and there's it's a very impressive base it's huge and there were C-5 C-17s um, all sorts of huge transport aircraft around the place and we found one that was powered up wandered in they're actually setting up for, an, for a mission it was going to be later on that day, and uh, so it was uh, all, you know, singing and dancing. There were people moving around. It was all very interesting. Good look around the flight deck. Uh, I was very glad to hear that it was a McDonnell Douglas airplane, and uh, it was only later, um, unfortunately, christened Boeing. But uh, we know that it really is McDonald underneath, underneath that paint. So uh, that was very cool, and uh, all took lots of pictures. So thank you very much indeed uh, to Mitch for uh, giving us that look around. A quick lunch. Uh, we treated Mitch to lunch and uh, then back in the aircraft. Uh, this time we got the full tour around uh, San Francisco at about, uh, I don't know, 1,500 feet. We drifted on around the city and actually went right around uh, San Francisco Airport where I'd only landed the day before. And there was uh, one of Acme Red's aircraft uh, sitting there waiting to uh, depart later. And then back to whence we came, 
And uh, it really was a fabulous uh, day, lovely flight, and enormous thanks to uh, Fred for organizing that and setting it up for me. Yeah, I had a ball. I really did. It was great fun. So did you see any uh, really, really cool airplanes like maybe a C-141B? I don't know. We saw some that went to a bit of a historic part that they have at Travis. We saw some old airplanes. Yeah. I don't think we saw anything that old. Um, <laughs> no, seriously. I saw a picture or of a you cool standing yeah, yeah, yeah. in front of that c <laughs> we, we did. We went Starlet. to the Travis. Uh, they've got a, a sort of heritage park of uh, old aircraft. And they uh, have a lot of the 100 series uh, fighters, uh, you know, Delta Dagger, Delta Dart, and bits and bobs like that. Some uh, earlier stuff, World War Two. Uh, some aircraft I had never seen before and uh, was scratching my head trying to work out what they were. A uh, And a very early Hercules, uh, I think it was called a Cargo Master, a 133A with a funny great radar nose on it. Hmm. Um, there was, uh, now there was some brilliant oh, I saw the picture of that so. one. That one was interesting. Yeah. It was. Mm-hmm. They, they were all. They were all super, and some of them in great nick as well. So that was a lovely. And then there was a beautiful. Um, what is it? What did you call it? A C one forty one. Is that it? Yeah, the Starlifter. Yeah, that's it. Uh, in it painted <laughs> and looking great, and called the Golden Bear. The Golden Bear, yeah, because that's the California. The, yeah, the motto, the uh, mascot, I guess, of the. Oh, I thought it was after the golfer. No. Oh, golfer. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Who's the? Uh, who was called the Golden Bear? Well, I don't know. Uh, I only yeah, know it in uh, conjunction with this, you know, California. The state of California. When you look at the California state flag, you see the bear. Golden Bear yeah. on it. And Cal State um, so, or Cal. So I was just—it's the mascot of one Jeff, of the did, yeah. universities. Anyway, did you actually fly that one? I that actual one that you were looking at. Yeah. I yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Probably. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I, don't, I really don't know. Jack okay, Nicholas. and did you have an outside toilet on the side? I was, I'm still waiting to find out that answer to that question. No, we had a we had a regular lav in the in the inside. Of oh, there. okay. It's just that we we saw what looked like um, a toilet um, rim and a and a hole, what would have been a hole, but on the side uh, above an escape exit, and uh, it looked just like <laughs> some of the. In case as you're escaping like from toilet. the aircraft, you have to use the the lav. That's yeah, your like last opportunity. Seat. Okay. It was stuck on the outside of the airplane, and we thought perhaps you had an outside toilet on that airplane. But <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, it's been a long time since I flew that airplane, so perhaps my memory is failing me, but I don't think so. I think that uh, I'm pretty sure. You'll, you'll yeah. see the one I mean. It's a close-up. Okay. The the <laughs> I must have missed that one. <laughs> well, apparently it was Jack Nicholas. Who is Jack Nicholas. There we go. Yeah, the, the Golden Bear. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure that uh, – you know what? Maybe California did name their state – animal mascot after jack nicholas and not the other way around no, i have no not. idea i'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> anyway it was a very impressive looking airplane i can see why you love flying it yeah i mean it was a you know everything that i've flown from lockheed has been just amazing so um yeah that's cool so uh what did you uh, you you mentioned that fred's a stickler uh for flying what do you think about fred's driving uh he's uh he drives very safely but he's not um he's 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 like an old grandma he barely he barely moves i mean it's just like people are honking at us because he's not driving fast 
I'm the opposite. No, of that, there only seems to be two positions for the gas pedal. It's like on the floor or you know up in the air, and we're having our on the brakes. No, he, he drives very well. <laughs> oh no, yeah, I'm not saying he doesn't. I'm just saying he he, he drives very very quickly. <laughs> Safely, <laughs> safely. Oh, he certainly enjoys his. his yeah, I love. It. I mean, it was, Fred's a great guy. He, he knows I'm joking around. It was a good time when I saw him <laughs> uh, a few weeks back for the uh, other meetup we had there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, talking about a great host. Well, that yeah. was a. Well, I need to get out there some time and go flying with Fred. So, so well, he, he's very keen to show you yeah. um, what he can do with an airplane, Steph, and to watch you do the same. I think because uh, it was he was saying right now I've got to get Doctor Steph out. Yeah. No, I love to fly around the uh, San Francisco area. I think that'd just be gorgeous. Yeah, that's cool. Um, Absolutely. So, and did you have any kind of a meetup anywhere? Like more more people show up, or was it just pretty much you you and? Uh, no, I was actually pretty whacked uh, after that. So I know there were some guys who wanted to meet up, um, mm-hmm. but uh, I just didn't have the energy. There, I slept about uh, eight hours after that really long flight out, and then staying up doing the show. And the next night I slept about 14 hours and I still didn't feel right when mm. I got on the airplane, you know, completely rested when I got on the airplane, went home. So uh, luckily it was a nice short flight home. Um, we were just a little bit delayed because uh, Gander's um, automatic uh, air traffic uh, uh, flight planning system uh, had uh, gone down and uh, there were a lot of delays for transatlantic uh, traffic. So we were being warned that we would be late off, and our aircraft that we were supposed to take home was late in because of it. So I think it was just a problem of allocating tracks, and uh, they had reverted to HF procedures rather than using CBDLC. So uh, that was obviously a bit of a problem. Which old uh, school, made, man? Old school. Yeah, old school. Exactly right. <laughs> which made it just a little bit of a long flight home. But, oh, uh, I'm all recovered now, which is nice. Excellent. So, oh, and uh, for those who did miss uh, the chance to meet up, I have another San Francisco coming up mm-hmm. next month. So uh, um, I will try and arrange a meetup, and um, I will post something on Slack. Okay. Uh, we'll learn later in the show how you, if you're not already on the APG Slack, um, Hillel will tell us. Um, is he? He's is wait. He? Yeah, no, he's here. Yeah, okay, good. good. He's, he's on standby. Okay. Yeah. No, no, he. <laughs> good. He, he's stuck in while we were. Doing so, um, and I and I need to say, uh, one of the uh, big APG community members out there in Northern California, Tim Van Ram. Uh, also, he gave me uh, just a great goodie bag full of great stuff, and you know, like a couple T-shirts. I gave you one uh-huh, of those yep. uh, San Francisco T-shirts. Gave him one and the great Herb Cain. Um, kind of uh what do you call that coffee table kind of books beautiful uh really large format picture kind of uh, photograph books um a nice really a really nice san francisco mug but he gave me something to give to you captain nick along with a personal note and um i just wanted to let tim know that if he's listening right now that i just haven't had a chance i haven't seen captain nick in person to give him the item that you gave me so uh, uh but maybe when nick is back out there of course i still have it so that's not that's gonna not going to work. No, yeah. but um, maybe you'll <laughs> yeah. get an opportunity to, to actually. I'm, I'm meet. sure Nick will be in Atlanta before too long. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Well, I need one, but I haven't got one next month, and the following month I've got a lot of leave because I'm holidaying. Oh. So uh, um, well, maybe a while, I mean, but eventually. Yeah, it's he'll not, be back in Atlanta. It's not perishable. It's no. Uh, yeah. you know, oh, good. So. I was going to ask you if it was going to go off. No, but, uh, no. If if it good. if it did, then I would go ahead and consume it. But it's not. It's a piece of hardware. 
so oh, to speak. Okay. So anyway, um, just wanted to let Tim know that uh, Captain Nick will get this item uh, along with your personal note eventually. But maybe you'll get a chance to meet uh, Tim and uh, all the other great APG community members out there that I had a chance to meet uh, when I was there in San Jose um, a few weeks back. So. We'll let you know. Yeah, looking forward to that if we get a chance. Well, speaking of APG community members from far away and having meetups, uh, we had this uh, gentleman named Glenn Towler. You may have heard of him. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's been sending in feedback for quite some time, and he's a big part of our community. He, uh, on his way to – is actually sort of on his way to uh, Oshkosh, Wisconsin now. I think next week is when the – EAA Air Venture starts. Uh, he flew into Atlanta, and um, dispatcher Mike picked him up from the airport, and he uh, stayed with Mike and his family for a few days. And um, the uh, decided we decided to get together and have a meetup and go to a baseball game. I mentioned that on the uh, last episode, I believe. And on Sunday, uh, several of us got together. And headed out to the new SunTrust, what do they call it? The battery at SunTrust Park or something like that. It's the new ballpark. And we had a meetup. And I, of course, uh, was able to get some audio of that meetup. So let's take a listen. Well, we're here at the SunTrust Park in Cobb County on the north side of Atlanta for the Braves versus Diamondbacks game. And, of course, the reason why we're here is this is an APG meetup, but uh, the guest of honor is Glenn Taller, all the way from New Zealand, just to watch this game. Say hello to the uh, community, Glenn. Hello, my fellow APG syndrome sufferers. My first ever baseball game, and it's been, yeah, it's just amazing, actually. Really, so much fun. And, of course, it's such a great pleasure to meet Dispatcher Mike and Captain Jeff and, and soon-to-be Captain Dana and his wife and... And of course, Miami Hick too. He's he's here with us. It's been it's been really good. Yeah, it's good for and hot. I know. Yeah, it's very very warm here today and humid. And Glenn's been up for I don't know how many hours. I guess he did get some sleep last night, but uh, uh, probably not enough. He's probably still suffering the effects of uh, jet lag. Uh, yes, I'm sort of half alive. <laughs> he's he's doing a good job of fooling all of us, though. It looks like he's uh, in pretty good shape. So. Uh, he, he mentioned uh, a few other people here, dispatcher uh, Mike, so let's uh, let Mike say hello. Hey everybody in community, uh, you know, hanging out with this group, you know, Micah says it all the time, and uh, I'm going to steal his words, you know, you, you, can't, you can't beat airplane people, you know, anytime you have a meetup or anything like this, you know, airplane people and the aviation community itself, such a small community where we are. You know, we look out for each other, you know. Having Glenn come to stay in my house, no big deal. He's an airplane guy. I knew we'd get along without any problems. So um, if you don't live anywhere where we've had a meetup yet, please keep looking at uh, Captain Jeff's schedule and all of that. And when you see he's coming uh, with his mad dog to your town, organize something. Set something up. It's not hard. Take the bull by the horns, set it up, and you'll uh, you'll have a great time, great experience. The the amount of work that you put in is going to be absolutely positively worth everything uh, everything you do. So I'll pass it on to everyone else. Thanks, Mike. And thank you. Special thanks to Dispatcher Mike. He's the one that took the bull by the horns and organized this whole thing. So thank you. Appreciate that. And here's Dana. 
Hey, PG community. This is uh, F.O. Dana. We're out here at the game watching uh, the Atlanta Braves play against the Diamondbacks with some great uh, APG community Wait, folks. Yeah, there is a baseball game. Yeah, you haven't been paying attention the whole time, Dispatcher Mike. But we're out here having a great time. I have a special guest in town uh, all the way from New Zealand, and we're with Glenn uh, Tower. I almost said Fowler. Tower. Um, and uh, we're, we're um, enjoying a Finally, some shade and uh, good times. A handful of peanuts in my hand. and um, Let's see. We also have Robert with us and Miami Hicks. So we're looking forward to a nice afternoon. Excellent. Thank you, Dana. Want to say anything, Julie? Absolutely. No. Thank you. I don't blame you. Here's Robert. Robert Thompson. Yeah, thanks, Jeff, for the invite. It's uh, been a great day. And finally, the sun went away. So we, <laughs> we will not roast the rest of the game. But uh, thanks for the invite. It's been a fun afternoon. Thanks. Hey, this is Miami Hick and Amber here enjoying this uh, beautiful ball game at this beautiful new park. And uh, we're not melting anymore from the sunshine. Oh, sorry. Jeff just pushed a little closer to my face there. He has that problem sometimes, I hear. So uh, anyway, I'm going to get on uh, Miami, ah, Miami Hick over and out. Yeah, we're having a great time. Uh, the ladies didn't want to talk. I don't blame them. And, uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a great time. Wish you all could be with us. And Captain Jeff out. Yeah, it was a great time. Oh, need to turn that off. I'm sorry. Had a speaker going there. Okay. Uh, and, oh, you need to turn this back off as well. Here we go. This podcasting stuff is complicated. It's really tough. The work. video thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just, yeah. I, I, it's not, I, uh, the professionals are a the lot PTUK. of brain cells to yes. make all this run seamlessly. And yes. And I, I don't have enough. Clearly, I don't have any. <laughs> hmm. Anyway, we had a great time at the ballpark. And, uh, at, you know, first I thought I was really going to have to explain. F1 went over to a country that had a game like cricket, cricket. or rugby or something like that i you know i'd have to have somebody trying to explain all the rules and what's going on and everything else but apparently and i thought i was going to have to do that with glenn but i didn't really because he they play softball over there and so i mean so well baseball is pretty much like softball, softball. i mean i mean there's some a little a few differences but all in all you know didn't have to explain the whole inning system and three outs and strikes yeah. and balls and all that kind of stuff so Anyway, um, we had a great time, and uh, before we uh, went over to the ballpark, we parked in this area where they allow tail tailgating, and uh, uh, Mike set up a little uh, Weber, like one of those little mini smoking mm -hmm. joes or whatever you call it, you know, the little Weber grill. grills, yeah, mm -hmm. and we had some great uh, burgers and brats. Yeah, the brats look great. Yeah. He sent us some pictures of those uh, marinating mm -hmm. in the beer the night before. I yes. Think. Yes. Excellent. Yes, it was wonderful. Sad so. I couldn't make that, but looked like fun. Yeah, Braves won? Yeah, Braves won. Eight, like eight to one or seven to one. It was a kind of a blowout against the oh. uh, uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Of course, the Cubs came into town uh, the next three days or whatever mm -hmm. and swept the Braves. Go Cubs. Yeah, they Go just Cubs. obliterated Go. the Braves. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, Excellent. Yeah, I know you'd Sorry. be happy about that. <laughs> so that was our uh, our meetup in atlanta we're gonna have more meetups in atlanta by the way i uh had a meetup today with uh i need to get, make sure that i get his uh full name um because i know let's see where where is he here 
Da, 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 da. Um, oh, shoot. Perry, I believe. Perry. Oh, yeah, here we go. Perry Haman. Haman, maybe. H-A-M-A-N. Um, he had contacted me and saw, you know, looked at my schedule and said, Hey, I see you're going to be in Atlanta on Monday. And, you know, if you, and I might have a chance to, uh, talk for a short period of time. And sure enough, as I was pulling into T5 today, uh, in Atlanta, he said, uh, just got here to the T5 gate area. And I see that you were delayed a little bit. Yeah. We had a little issue this morning, um, starting off the trip, but we were able to catch up. And uh, the nice thing is they left us, they kept, they had us keep the airplane once we came into the gate. So I didn't have to go to a different concourse and all that kind of stuff. So um, I, I saw this text from uh, Perry and went out there and talked with him. And he gave me, speaking of Lockheed, by the way, he works, I hope it's okay for me to say that. He he works for this company that sounds like Lockheed. Yeah. But, <laughs> oh, yeah. Schlocky. Yeah, Schlocky. Uh, Bach. Need. That's it. Bach. No. Knock need. Knock need. That's it. Well, I was going to show you what he gave me. He gave me this really cool. Uh, um, I think I have it in the other room. Um, anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, what was it? A knock need L1011? A knock need D. Should I just go find whatever this is? Because you're doing a great job explaining it. I'm trying to. No, it's a C5M, uh, the uh, yeah. latest, for the, which they're, I guess they're still still making or doing work on or something. Anyway, it's a really cool patch. He said he was going to get me a 141 patch or something, and he said, but all that stuff that the, is just completely gone from their, their company store, and there was none of the none, no cool stuff of the 141 anymore. So oh. he got me this patch, which is really, really cool. So thank you, Perry. It was a pleasure talking with you, and I'm sorry it was only for a few minutes, but uh, um, yeah, I told him that, hey. Why weren't you at the baseball game? And he said, well, I was flying an airplane because I'd already rented this airplane and, you know, reserved the airplane. And I thought, oh, OK, well, that's a pretty good excuse. Yeah. So we, we never fault anyone for actually going out and flying. No. So that, that comes no. above pretty but much everything. He else. said he's going to kind of pay attention. He's going to join. He's going to join the uh, Slack. Um, he's going to contact Hillel. And then he's going to be on the lookout for future meetups in the Atlanta area. And uh, so we hope to get to spend more time with Perry and uh, all of you out there. If you have a chance to meet up with us, it's a lot of fun. All right. And let's see. Speaking of Slack, I just wanted to remind everyone again that uh, apparently we're going to have a lot of people. Of course, a huge number of Av geeks are going to be in Oshkosh, Wisconsin next week. And uh, there is a special channel on Slack for the APG group called Oshkosh 2017. Uh, hashtag Oshkosh2017. So uh, if you haven't joined up on Slack, you need to contact Hillel and uh, get on board. And uh, especially if you're going to be going to Oshkosh mm -hmm. next week. And it's, uh, there's still a strong possibility that I may end up showing up on Wednesday of next week. So Excellent. look forward to meeting everybody up there. Well, I hope you make it. Me too. All right. And let's see. Well, Dana, so uh, what's been uh, going on with you? Oh, nope. Dana's not here <laughs> still. <laughs> I really have a feeling that uh, it's not good. Not a good thing going on in um, in Atlanta uh, with Dana yeah. and his brand. <laughs> I mean, brand new, very expensive MacBook Pro. Just throw it in a bag of rice overnight. Mm. Yeah. Will that work? You think? It worked with my phone. Yeah, maybe it works with a uh, laptop. I mean, I didn't spill beer on it, but I did. It did get dunked in the toilet. Yeah. So. 
You know, the good thing about it was not my fault. The MacBook Pro, it's hard to drop in a toilet. (laughs) This is a very large toilet. Yes. Well, you know, liquids. Yeah. Right. Just working on that principle. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, um, I was hoping to talk uh, with Dana about uh, his recent experience. He, for the very first time, I think he screwed up his bidding somehow and ended up flying an all nighter. Uh, a red from eye. a red eye from uh, Denver to Atlanta, and he uh, did that this morning, early this morning, and uh, got back to Atlanta in the wee hours. And uh, he uh, he expressed his feelings about the experience. Mm-hmm. He was he was not they were not favorable. No feelings. They were not positive. Yeah. Didn't get a lot of positive vibes from his experience flying the red eye. And he said that that was, I think, uh, I don't want to use his exact words because I I don't really think I can. It's a family show. But he's not going to do that again (laughs) if he can help it. Uh, But we were, I was saying, you know, for for a red eye flight going from Denver to Atlanta is really probably the least painful thing that we have that's considered a red eye. It's not like L.A. to New York or something. Or uh, Honolulu, Honolulu, oh, Honolulu back to Atlanta. That's yeah. painful. Oh, yeah, very painful. Anyway, so maybe we'll hear from uh, Dana. In we the hope future. We do. And you can tell us about that. Okay. Well, I think we should move on, of course, to the best part of the show, which, of course, is your feedback. Captain, incoming message. Oh, wait a minute. We have some breaking news, or at least I'm looking at the uh, the video, the the Hangout on Air video, and this is a good, I think is a good sign. Uh, we see so uh, Dana. I, I see his picture. Um, not sure if he's using it's the a same. Terrible sign, actually. Pardon me. Terrible sign. Uh oh. No, it's not. So there please, please tell us what what um, has um, happened in the last um, 20, 25 minutes. I just lost about two thousand dollars. That's what just happened. So let me guess: you bumped your beer, and it spilled all over your brand new laptop. Directly on the laptop, and uh, I'm on the uh, Lenovo because that's the only thing I have that's working right now. Okay. Yeah. We are terribly sorry about this uh, feeling. That's what happens when you've been up since 1230 in the night at night and just absolutely completely exhausted. We were just talking about that, Dana, because we were just kind of going over that. uh, Well, what's been happening with you segment of the show? And uh, I I just mentioned that you um, experienced something new um, early this morning uh, from Denver to Atlanta. Yeah, 15 years of flying. I've never flown a red eye and uh, I will never, if I can ever avoid it again, ever do one again. I am not a backside clock guy, and uh, my laptop is now sitting in rice. Oh, good. <laughs> Although someone just told me, because um, we were talking about the rice trick, but someone said uh, it doesn't work with beer. It takes the water and leaves sticky goo behind. But I don't know anything better to do for it. So. I mean, it's worth a, you know, it's worth a try, right? So, yeah. Well, I actually wash it out with water. There you go. And uh, then use pressure, air pressure. To dry it. To dry it. Now I'm going to put rice on it. So, um, yeah, I just uh, lost $2,000. No, no, no. Glass half full, 
Dana. I'm sure it's gonna it's gonna work just fine. And and just a out of curiosity, is it still within the 14 day period? <laughs> no, I'm just outside of it. Oh no! Dang it! <laughs> oh. Uh, oh man. Well, I think that uh, maybe somebody be... listening will uh, have some ideas. And if nothing else, we're all thinking positive thoughts. And we did. We actually stopped vibes. for a few few seconds to uh, send you some positive vibes, and also we uh, toasted you. And mm-hmm. uh, and the laptop and the laptop. Yep. Okay. All right. And no one's probably really interested, but I spent the weekend in Chicago. It was nice. Oh, that's right. We never <laughs> got have, to yours. I'm sorry, Steph. I thought we'd already. <laughs> it's it, fine. No, tell there us about if anybody. In, huh? If if anybody out in the community knows if Apple, I've got Apple Care. Thank mm-hmm. God. Um, whether they cover liquid, I don't know. I, I was trying to look it up, but. Not sure. They I do. think it's worth at least taking it back to the store and finding out. Matt D says, "Get some Apple Care, and usually they will take care of it." I have Apple Care. All right, you, well, you don't need to get some then. Yeah, I, I, yeah this is going to be okay. I think the only thing you need to do is just go in there and be honest and say, "This is what happened." You know, don't. I'd just take it and be like, "I don't know." No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, you could probably get away with that. We can't. Uh, All of a sudden, this beer started bubbling out of the. Cable. I don't know where it came from because I don't Mysterious even drink. Well, you could yeah. say that I don't even drink beer. I drink bourbon. That's right. I don't know where this beer came. from. Yeah, I don't know where that beer came from. Oh well. So please, really, I'm sorry, Steph. She's just making me feel bad. Uh, what? I wasn't even going to say anything. I'm sorry that I. I did. Okay, well, let's just move on then. I don't care about your stupid weekend in mm-hmm. Chicago. Why were you in Chicago? We were in Chicago because I. Took my dad out there to see a Jimmy Buffett concert. Ooh, I love his, Jimmy Buffett for his birthday. So, is he? How does he sound? He's just, he's, is yeah, he still sounds, sounding like he great. always has? Yeah, actually, it was probably I've been to I think three shows now. This was probably my favorite of all of them for oh, nice. for a variety of reasons. Um, one was the set list that was played was excellent. Um, it always is, but this one was especially so. It seemed like more of my favorites. Did he like to do a, like a a big? From the old stuff and the new stuff. Oh yeah, stuff. good mix of, of everything. Any anything from volcano? Mm-hmm. Like a like volcano. I'm looking for well, that of course. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorites is I'm looking for a a smart woman in a very short skirt. That's a good song. You should check it out. Okay, I don't. But think also some of this early stuff like uh, uh, like a, a, a what is it a pirates a pirate looks at a 40. pirate looks at forty. Mm-hmm. That's an pirate awesome one. Uh, and tire swing. Life is just a tire swing. Yeah, I don't think that was played. So, oh, sorry. so good. Of course, anyway, Margarita. Yeah, the, I mean, all the, the standards, yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. But it was at Wrigley Field. Oh, nice. Which is awesome. And he was actually the first person to play a concert at Wrigley Field. Oh, wow. And he said if the Cubs ever won the World Series, he'd be back. So he was, was making back. good on his, his promise. Very so, good. It was great. It was, you know, like 41,000 people crammed into Wrigley Field. And um, yeah, a good weekend. Yeah, and so we—I uh, I saw some beautiful photographs you took uh, when you were in what we used to call the Sears Tower, and now it's called something else. It's still called the Sears Tower, just spelled W I L L I S. I think. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange pronunciation. Yeah, pronunciation. <laughs> um, but yeah, we went up to the to the sky deck up there on the hundred third floor, which is like thirteen hundred and fifty feet above uh, street level. I have actually never been up to the top of the Sears Tower, despite having lived in Chicago for the first 13 years of my life and going back there frequently. It seems like I always make it up to the top of the John Hancock Center, but never over in a mm-hmm. Sears Tower. So that was nice. Um, not maybe the greatest weather day, except I thought it was really interesting because we were kind of just skimming the very bottom layer of the lowest cloud layer. So some neat time-lapse photo opportunities there when I could get my phone to just sit on the ledge. 
it kept falling off. So I have a whole bunch of videos where <laughs> it's like two seconds of video oh. and then poof. so. Well, the one that, that I out. saw, apparently, the one that you published. Uh, I did. Beautiful. I did finally get it, yeah. get it figured out. So Seeing the clouds kind of rolling in. and Yeah. So, so that was, I mean, if you like weather related stuff, that was really interesting. Now, if yeah. you have, uh, what is it called? Uh, agrophobia? Agrophobia? The uh, fear, fear of, of heights. heights. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's don't look at some of those photographs because she's in this glass enclosure and it's like you look straight down and you can see through. Yeah, you can see feet. 103 stories straight to yeah, Wacker's drive scary. below you. So, yeah. You know, it's interesting, though. I think that uh, we were talking about it on Twitter that a lot of pilots have fear of fear of heights. Height. Sure. Yeah. And you think, well, how can you be a pilot and have fear of flight? Fights. Flight. Flight. Fear of heights. heights. There we go. <laughs> fear of landing. Fear. It of has has more to do dying. with you know how that height is presented. Whether there's something that's stopping you from falling down through that height yeah. or not. So. I don't. I don't. Particularly I always thought like it had something to do like you are connected to the ground and you're really high up. Whereas if you're in an airplane, you're not connected. So for some mm -hmm. reason, I don't know. I don't know because I don't. Yeah, I don't like to be on like, you know, an un unprotected cliff. You know, if you're up in the mountains or something yeah. like that, I, I really don't like that. Unless there's I have some a sense kind of, of a railing. Yeah, yeah you could. Yeah, fall and over. even if the railing is low, I, mm -hmm. I don't really like that. So um, strangely, I have no problem jumping out of an airplane because yeah. in my mind the. I have the parachute for that. Well, you're just crazy. I know. So, but yeah, it was, it was a very nice weekend in Chicago. We walked a lot, um, had a lot of time to just enjoy the city and some really nice weather and a break from the heat here. So, yeah. Very nice. Dana, other than your experience uh, recently flying that, um, we already talked about the uh, the Braves game. Uh, I don't know if you wanted to say anything about that, but we had a great time uh, tailgating and, and watching baseball and catching up with the uh, APG community there? Well, uh, I had a really great experience with the... Uh, oh, if you're busy, don't worry about it. I think it sounds like he's on yeah. <laughs> on, <laughs> on, on uh, support. Okay, yeah. We'll yeah. forget. We'll, we'll come back to you later. Yeah. Just just, let it, just give us the, <laughs> the thumbs up when you're ready to go. Okay, Send us a go. text. <laughs> he just muted himself and turned his video off. Okay. Okay. We understand. Well, actually, they're going to call me back in 10 minutes. Oh, okay. So, uh, to be uh, quite honest with you, I had uh, a fantastic overnight in Denver. Uh, went to the. I was very surprised that they had the Colorado. The Colorado Rockies were playing a day game yesterday, oh. which worked out to be fantastic. Went to the game and uh, I very rarely, or actually, I've never done this. I've scalped the ticket and was sitting uh, ten, no, eleven rows behind first base dugout, which is the home dugout for the Rockies. And I got to witness a a, a absolute San Diego Padres. Uh, it was eighteen to four. Wow! I've never seen so many home runs in one game. Huh. Um, so flew with a with a good guy. Uh, we had no major issues uh, over the uh, four day period, other than uh, we didn't do any uh, um, crew. Um, crew bonding beyond the cockpit so um it was an exciting weekend a week excuse me so i'll let you go with that and i'll be back okay thank you dana see you soon <laughs> yes more more important things to worry about right now like that brand new very expensive computer <laughs> that he spilled beer on okay mm -hmm. anything else uh nick uh we we already covered i, I want to make sure i'm not missing anybody because apparently i'm not uh not being inclusive. <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're okay. Good.
<laughs> no, 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 everything's fine here. I'm, okay. I'm heading off on Saturday back to New York, but uh, that's another trip. Oh, okay. Uh, is there going to be another meetup in New York? I don't think so. Well, it, I could do. Uh, I'm I'm land very late Saturday, so that's a non-player. I might be around Sunday, and but of course, no one in America drinks on a Sunday. Do they? You all go to church, so yeah, no, not all. Of Maybe this. twenty or thirty years ago. <laughs> But, uh, if you were in I, North I Carolina, you'd be in trouble until about noon. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> not everywhere. Uh, I'm at grandma's house, and um, I I don't think I'll have a chance to because uh, we have quite an early uh, checkout in on Monday morning, so I can't really drink Sunday evening. So it may not work out. And trust me. If Nick's not drinking, he's not any fun at all. So you don't want to no. have a no. meetup. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Of course, that I'm being facetious. All right. Well, now I think might be a good time for us to move on with the best part of the show. Captain, incoming message. Let's start off with this piece of feedback that uh, was sent in quite some time ago in May, May 13th by Richard. He said, uh, I keep seeing an old video on Facebook of an American Airlines MD-80 doing a power back from the gate. Is this procedure still done nowadays? Do you ever uh, do you ever do them in your aircraft? I imagine it uses a lot of fuel unnecessarily. And uh, no, I, I don't think that um, I'm pretty sure that Acme, we, we never did this procedure. I know that American did and some other airlines that have the, uh, the Mad Dogs, DC-9s, that kind of thing, uh, tail mounted engines. Uh, that would use reverse thrust to back out of the gate. And then uh, once they got to a certain point, they'd um, stow the reversers and use a little bit of forward thrust to stop the airplane from moving. And I don't believe fuel consumption was the reason why they stopped doing it. It was, I think, more to do with the fact that it was kind of a risky thing for the engines and kicking up a lot of you know, potential foreign object damage uh, stuff on the ramp and that kind of thing. And it just worked out that it wasn't um, economically feasible uh, to do that procedure. I'm pretty sure that's why they stopped doing it. Perhaps maybe, you know, perhaps some airlines are still doing that out there. I haven't seen that happen in quite some time. So no, and we never, and one of the things that my wife said, uh, because, you know, every time that I've had any kind of an incident uh, with um, a car, like bending metal in a, in a car uh, usually involved me backing up. Reversing. Reversing. Mm-hmm. And my wife was quite concerned when she heard that it was a possibility that I would be in an airplane going in reverse. And, and I got it. And, and by the way, there's no rear view mirrors. I know. Or anything. I'm just going to trust. The marshal around down there mm-hmm. to make sure that you're not going to hit something. And I I, I gave my wife the, uh, the, the very um, – she really wanted to hear this uh, when I told her that, no, we, we at Acme do not do the power back procedure. And she goes, oh, good. Just 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 worried about that. Just worried about you. Yeah, of course, you could do it without a marshalers uh, like that Thompson guy. Did you, did you see the video of the yeah, guy? You that- know what? That, somebody sent us in some feedback. Hey, that's a great segue, smooth. Captain Nick. Very smooth. Um, <laughs> Seamless. Janelle. Sent us some feedback. She goes, hey, crew, I ran across this on YouTube today and I thought I would share. And uh, she gives us the link and she says, in the first two minutes, watch as a TUI, T-U-I, 
757 lands and rolls out, missing their turn to the left onto a taxiway. In a rare move, the captain decides to go for a three-point turn, back up the bird on the runway using reverse thrust. The video is titled poorly, calling reverse gear. But in the description, the uh, video poster does seem to understand that it is not, in fact, a gear at all. I have to wonder what the folks in the 737 that comes into frame are thinking watching this. Uh, all the best from muggy southern Missouri, Talons, Douglas, Janelle. Thank you, Janelle, for, for uh, sending that link in to us. And yeah, it, so I guess you wanted us to kind of comment on, is this like something that is a normal thing? No. Um, I know that uh, some airlines, like mine, <laughs> that is expressly forbidden. We can't do that. We can't go to an end of the runway and go, oops, we overshot a little bit. So I need to just pop these things in reverse a little bit and back up and then, you know, get going the right way. Yeah. How about you, Captain Nick? Do you guys routinely do that? <laughs> no. <laughs> I think I, I reckon if a skipper did that or, um, or allowed it to happen, uh, I think that'd probably be the last time it'd work for us if anyone found out about it. Um, I mean, uh, there are all sorts of problems that can occur. The aircraft's probably not certified for it. Uh, he's certainly not doing it with any marshalers, so he doesn't really doesn't know what's uh, behind him. Um, he may have accomplished it safely, and it may have neatly avoided uh, having to do a 180 on the runway, but quite honestly, that is by far the safest thing, assuming that his turning circle is sufficient to be able to do a 180 on that runway. Um, but I'm pretty sure it would be. Uh, He's not a huge airplane. So uh, I think he was just trying to uh, save the embarrassment of uh, realizing that he'd turned, trying to take that turn way too late, and he probably didn't have enough room left to get his gear onto the taxiway without trundling over the grass. So, I mean, I, it looks like he was yeah, just trying to save Yeah, not embarrassing at all to have to do a three-point turn and reverse. Well, exactly. And, and we all know how many people sit on the aircraft Particularly someone you know, on a holiday, you know, everyone's got their phones out recording the interesting bits of the flights. How he ever thought he was going to get away with it without someone having it on video. That's the thing. This is the world we live in now. I mean, yep. you can't do <laughs> you have to know that if you do something like this, you're not going to get away with it. Because I'm sitting yeah. back there yeah. recording all of it. And yeah. somebody on mm -hmm. the airport, you know, plane spotters are out there everywhere. Recording all of it. Yeah. It's like uh, not a good idea. Well, maybe that company, we don't know. Perhaps this is a, an authorized procedure. I doubt it. But I bet that Captain Nick's right. I bet this guy probably had to uh, maybe explain himself. Explain himself. That's a pilot Explaining to you. <laughs> yeah. Now I I understand uh, you know I'm, let me correct myself uh, Captain Jeff in the uh, in the chat room says that at his company they do this all the time in the seven thirty seven no I'm just kidding missed well, the turn off <laughs> I was like I'm, yeah that, exactly just kidding Jeff not trying to get you in trouble but we do have some video of it just saying <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. Um, let me see. Getting back. Yeah. So, um, yeah, used to be a kind of a common thing at some airlines, uh, Richard, but, uh, no, I don't think anybody's doing the, uh, the power backs anymore. Uh, thanks for the feedback, sir. Nick. Oh, Nick, you didn't have to write in. You could just send in your feedback by being on the show. Oh, wait a minute. This is a different Nick. Nick Carson, uh, sent in a, um, link to a video on YouTube. He said the, the middle seat may be the best 
soon with revolutionary design. And he said, I found this video on YouTube quite interesting, and I hope that the community finds it interesting as well. And basically, it was a, from what I remember, it's been a while since I've looked at this video, but it was like a, a system where these seats kind of like move forward or aft and then kind of slide from left to right to kind of give, like make a narrow body aisle airplane like a big wide body kind of aisle where people have yeah, just a lot more access to the middle seat if i remember correctly yeah but, but i don't, don't know see the practicality no. in that and it's going to take up more space than i think and probably more weight too weight yeah yeah with the mechanism to allow all that's you know i don't know i think that if it's going to be some kind of a penalty and expense for uh for an airline uh especially in this economic environment that the airline's going to go, yeah, no, I'd just rather keep it the way it is and yeah. let people suffer back there. <laughs> because if you're not happy, we're not happy. <laughs> um, thank you, Nick, for that. <laughs> it's been a while since we've gotten uh, feedback from you, Nick. We uh, appreciate yeah. that. And uh, yeah, he's he's been at a couple uh, Atlanta meetups. And uh, so look forward to seeing you again sometime, Nick. Uh, hope your summer is going well. Um, Bennett sent this in and you remember us talking about this little oopsie um a while back when was it exactly uh july 7th 2016 about a little over a year ago uh there was a uh an airbus a320 for a certain airline um heading into kilo romeo alpha papa which Mm -hmm. actually when you think about it is an interesting if you pronounce it K R A P, it's not very, not very. Um, Rapid what? City. Yeah, Rapid City. There we go. Yeah. Um, and uh, they were coming in to Rapid City. There was a last minute uh, change of runways, and the uh, captain and first officer uh, were looking apparently at the wrong airport, and it was one of those instances where. The flight landed at the wrong airport. In this case, landed at Kilo Romeo Charlie Alpha, which is the Air Force base there. What is it, the name of the Air Force base? Ellsworth. Uh, Ellsworth, thank you. And uh, there, you know, as many of these cases happen, these airports, uh, the airport layout, the runway layouts are very similar. You know, oriented. Of course, you know that the way they design airports is to, you know, kind of align with the. Prevailing winds. Prevailing winds, mm-hmm. yeah. So, you know, it's not unusual that if the runway is aligned a certain way that uh, all the airports in that area are going to be aligned pretty pretty similarly. Although the Ellsworth Air Force Base uh, runway is much larger uh, because they fly bombers uh, out of there, or used to anyway. Um, so they uh, the report was released uh, just recently on this uh, incident landing at the wrong airport. And this is from the uh, outstanding uh, resource that we use here a lot, the uh, uh, the uh, well, Aviation Herald uh, by Simon uh, Haradki. Uh, probably not pronouncing his, his last name correctly, but uh, I believe he's an Austrian who uh, does this site. And by the way, um, if you haven't already done so, please consider um, you know giving Simon some some money. Uh, you can kind of uh, give him like a monthly amount uh you know like uh, many of you do for our show you know become sort of like a patron although i don't believe he uses patreon but you can sign up to kind of have a a certain amount of money going to him because he's doing this 
basically on his own. I don't know if he's making any money at all doing this. Uh, I think he just loves doing it. So mm-hmm. Aviation Herald, check it out. But um, let's see. The NTC, NTSB concluded uh, the report by saying, at the time, air traffic control cleared the flight for the visual approach. The airplane was positioned on the final approach course of the RNAV-14 approach and at a reasonable altitude for that approach. Therefore, there was no immediate indication to air traffic control that the crew had identified the wrong airport. Shortly after that, the captain increased the descent rate as high as 1,200 feet per minute, resulting in an unstable approach as he was focused on the wrong landing runway. The crew realized the mistake just prior to touchdown, but considered it was safer to complete the landing at that point. So um, we'll put the link to this article from the Aviation Herald in the show notes. And I also ended up capturing the actual track from flightaware.com. And you can see the relative position of Rapid City and Ellsworth Air Force Base and the fact that uh, they were basically setting up for a long left downwind uh, for Rapid City. And then instead of you know correctly identifying the airport, uh, obviously the captain fixated on the wrong airport. And we've, we've talked about this. This is one of those human factors things that you see something and you're just convinced that this is the airport. And a lot, a lot of people ask you, well, how in the world could you possibly land at the wrong airport? Now, we'll always say, well, if you had used some of your backup instrumentation and you know made sure that even though you were flying an approach visually, you have some kind of an instrument backup, you're looking at your map and it matches what you know, you're doing and the airport you're going to and the distance and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, how, how that does this still happen in this day and time? And it's just because we're humans. And well, and looking at just even the, the Google Earth picture that you captured there, Ellsworth is a lot easier to see mm-hmm. on the map than it's Rapid much City. bigger. It's much larger. Very inviting. Yes. I mean, and that looks like what you might be expecting to see at an airport that you would be expecting to land at. So, yep. Yeah, so big, big mistake. Of course, mm-hmm. uh, was not um, not a good thing. Uh, but uh, anyway, so um, Bennett uh, writes. Just wondering if you guess uh, if you guys could, could uh, discuss this article, which we did. And uh, let's see, what did he say? Oh, okay, yeah, he just wanted us to, to, to discuss it. He didn't have a specific question. So, well, there's two, there's two areas there. That you've mentioned, Jeff, one which is the captain fixating, but I'm surprised at the pilot monitoring. Now, generally speaking, when you're PM, you have a lot better situational awareness of the overall um, conduct of the flight because you're not the one trying to do all the mental maths of uh, get the hide off and comparing your distance out and uh, trying to call for all the services, etc. You're just sitting back there, uh, and uh, I'm surprised he's. He wasn't going, Captain, the, you know, the bloody moving map has this airfield like 12 miles away, not three miles away. So, you know, what's going on? So uh, I, I suspect there was a bit of a breakdown from both of them there. Yeah, I think that in the report it did say something about the fact that it, it sounded like the uh, – here it is. The uh, first officer did query the captain if he had the right airport in sight uh, who expressed some uncertainty and also, interestingly, the air traffic controllers, when they cleared the flight for the visual approach, they said, quote, visual approach runway 14, use caution for Ellsworth Air Force Base located six miles northwest of Rapid City Regional. Mm-hmm. So during the interviews, the uh, NTSB wrote, 
the crew stated they misheard the controller's warning for the typical position advisory given on an instrument approach and supported their idea that the correct landing runway was six miles away. So, again, there were some basic communication breakdowns as well. But you're right, Captain Nick. Pilot monitoring uh, should have caught that and said, look, no, that's yeah. no, this is not matching up. I don't think you're looking at the right airport. Yeah. I mean, Dana has the right idea. He would have knocked the captain out and taken control. <laughs> <That's> exactly. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> he absolutely knocked him out and taken control. Yeah. Talk about um, it. So, but the other thing I will say now, I'd, I'd love to hear um, this on live, ATC Live, um, how the controller gave his warning. Because if it's one of those standard warnings that they give to every aircraft that's making an approach, I bet it was spat out in five seconds flat. <laughs> rather than making the point, because that controller probably gets so used to spitting it out, and most aircraft he speak, speaks to know all about the problem. Uh, and But if he had made a, a separate, clear uh, enunciation, I wonder if it had perhaps uh, penetrated. Although I, we all know that when we're in high-pressure workload situations, as this guy put himself in when he realized that he was too high for the airfield he thought he was supposed to land at. Uh, one of the first things that you stop doing is listening. Uh, it's the easiest thing to do is to stop hearing what people are saying to you because your brain is going so fast. Uh, it takes quite a, a time for your uh, brain to uh, process all your information and for it to break through. Um, so, you know, it may, may not have mattered how he said it. There's a term for that, isn't there? Like expect expectation, something rather, where you um, you you don't you you hear people talking to you and saying something, but it's you kind of in your head you're understanding it to be what you expect them to tell you. Mm-hmm. Uh, expect expectation bias, I think, is that the yeah, name that of the sounds uh, yeah good. Uh, so <laughs> whether it be your visual uh, assessment of the airport or the what you're listening to on the frequency you're expecting them to say this and that's what you hear instead of what they actually right really so said. controller says you know use caution yeah. air force mm-hmm. base six miles ahead yeah and what they hear is airport airport six miles, six ahead. miles. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and that's the one you should land on yeah no. yeah that's a it's an embarrassing thing it's not the you know we've talked about landing on the wrong runways several times on the show oh, and uh, oh, taxiways. And, yeah, taxiways, too. All right. Well, Bennett, hope that uh, satisfied your uh, curiosity regarding this. And uh, it's always good to uh, talk about these kind of things and kind of, uh, you know, keep them in the back of your mind when you're going into a place that you're not really familiar with and, you know, needing to really, really pay close attention, uh, even if it, it, the weather is beautiful. Yeah, you, you really need to back everything up. Um, and of, of course, uh, finally, I guess probably the, the best thing to always keep in mind is that you can always, you can always go around when you're not sure. You can always go around. All right. Now. This is an interesting one, or as Paul Harvey would say, this is a strange. Uh, Pat writes in and sent us a link to an article from the CBC, Canadian Broadcasting Company, cbc.ca. 
hello, Jeff and ABG Crew. I thought you might find this story interesting. It certainly makes me want to stick to real airlines. <laughs> in, in quotes. In quotes. Um, so I don't know. You know, I think maybe that's kind of unfair <laughs> to, to say it like that. Um, not me. I didn't say that. Uh, let's see. Also, uh, Brett sent us um, the, the same link, actually, uh, to this uh, this thing going on here with uh, Air Transat uh, slash Flare Air. And the title is The Mexican Game. And apparently uh, it has to do with the way airlines um, publish their schedules and their flights and uh, using aircraft on routes that clearly cannot actually do that flight based on distance and other considerations like uh, reserve fuel and all that kind of stuff. And so what they do is they, even before they serve this particular route, they already know that they're going to have to stop somewhere en route to refuel and have enough gas to complete the thing. But they don't really kind of... They don't advertise it? No, they don't really... Hey, we're going to be making a stop Yeah, somewhere. And you don't find out, you, Joe, passenger, Jolene, uh, until you're actually on the flight, and now now they're telling you that oh we're is, yeah I know you thought this is going to be a nonstop flight, but it's not really nonstop. We're going to have to stop and get some gas because if we don't, we're not going to make it. It's just direct. Yeah, direct flight. Um, so this uh, article uh, talks about uh, and the YouTube video about this practice and uh, you know whether or not this is something that's ethical and. You know, should airlines be allowed to do this kind of thing or should it be more clearly stated so you're not misleading the uh, public when you sell them tickets to do uh, this kind of thing? So I don't know. Uh, what do you all think? Yeah, I mean, I think that in this day and age, you have to at least say somewhere, even if you pull asterisk, put it at the bottom. This flight may stop for refueling purposes. You will not have to, you know, get off the aircraft or say whatever it is. That's the kind of the fine print there so that people know. But, right. I mean, uh, I don't have a problem with them doing it as long as people know what they're purchasing. Now, Dana and I know, and perhaps many of you listening already know that, you know, they're even Acme sometimes when you will, will try to fly a flight from Atlanta to, uh, let's say, Tucson. And, you know, Unless there's something unusual about the winds or the weather or whatever, you know, a higher requirement for fuel for an alternate or the winds are much stronger than they normally are, that there's a good chance that when you're flying from Atlanta to Tucson certain times of year on the airplane that we fly, that you can't make it. You're going to have mm -hmm. to stop in, in El Paso. To and I think get. the difference is if it's expected that yeah. it's going to happen more often than not. We right. should probably have a disclaimer. So apparently this Mexican game or whatever they're calling it, um, it, it's like there's no way they could possibly make it that it, it's going to be for sure every single time you're going to yeah. stop. I mean, I think they mentioned, especially when going back north, so mm -hmm. heading from the north to the south, taking off in colder climates, um, Yeah, you know, fuel efficiency is a little bit better. So they don't always have to make that stop. But the other way around, taking off in the warmer climates, um, it's not the same case. Right. And let me tell you, I've done that flight, that segment between Atlanta and Tucson. And when the winds are a little bit stronger than 
you normally get, and you are constantly watching your fuel consumption and making sure that you can continue all the way. And, you know, we make every effort to do so, but then, you know, sometimes you just kind of shake your head and go, nope, we're not going to be able to make it. We're going to have to stop for get, you know, get topped off Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, get a little bit more gas. Um, Here's a, a, a quote from Harold Knopp Flair errors, director of flight operations. One of the airlines, um, uh, talked about in this article, uh, this Mexican game, Air Transat has advised us. I guess they they kind of do work for Air Transat, so I guess Air Transat uh, contracts with Flare Air uh, to do these uh, segments. And he said uh, they advised it that this mes- method has worked successfully and without any issues with previous operators, and that there was no negative passenger reaction in these situations. Uh, however, apparently there have been some negative reactions because we because wouldn't be we have a story about yeah. it. Yes, <laughs> someone has complained. Right. Yes. So uh, it, yeah. it is interesting, yes, because those of us who do this very rarely, and uh, even if you've got the capacity to take as much fuel as you want, uh, we're frequently going to take only that that you believe you need. And if you do meet some adverse uh, conditions on the way, you may well have to pop into an airfield short of your destination. Um, and uh, it does happen uh, in Acme Red occasionally. Um, so it would be a shame if all the passengers heard this and suddenly thought any airplane that throws into an airfield for a quick top-up, quick splash and dash, as we say, uh, m- must be trying to pull the wool over our eyes. But you're quite right when you say that, no, it, it's not the way it works. We, we carry suitable reserves, but sometimes something unexpected happens. It might be an air traffic delay. It might be weather. Um, and you just don't uh, feel it's uh, entirely um, a good idea to continue on with a low fuel reserve. So you decide to take extra fuel as a good captain would. Um, but there is a significant difference between what this bloke's doing and what we might do in that uh, situation. Exactly. I think uh, they would do fine if they had a disclosure, yeah. at least so people knew. I think so too. And I think part of this also may have something to do with the fact that, you know, you're flying from one country over the top, overflying or trying to overfly another country, the U S and then your destination is yet another country. Mm-hmm. So there, there were, were, involving some you know some of these rules complicated rules of, potentially of, customs and yeah all of that so anyway um pat and brett hopefully uh or thanks for sending in that feedback and allowing us to talk about it you know i think it might be a good time for something we like to call plane tales so let's see what the old pilot has in store for us today The old pilot's plain tales. Wooden wonders and aluminium overcast, part two. This is the second part of a story about two aircraft which fought in the Second World War and which carried a very similar bomb load. However, one was machined from metal, bristled with defensive armament and carried a crew of ten, whilst the other was made of wood and canvas built by piano makers, and carried a crew of two. Last week, we talked about the redoubtable B-17 Flying Fortress, its strength, firepower, and the bravery of its crews. Across the Atlantic, in war-torn Britain, 
Jeffrey de Havilland was taking a rather different approach to designing a bomber. It was back in 1936 that the Air Ministry issued a specification for a bomber, and like Boeing's B-17 design, many aviation firms entered heavyweights with multiple defensive turrets. In stark contrast, George Volkert of Handley Page put forward the concept of a fast, unarmed bomber whose top speed would exceed that of the Spitfire. De Havilland agreed with Volkert, and with his experience of building innovative high-speed aircraft, such as the DH-88 Comet Racer, he pushed for the acceptance of a high-speed design. He settled on an aircraft that would be aerodynamically clean, modern, and powered by two Merlins, and would be faster than any foreseeable enemy fighter aircraft. Its speed meant that it could dispense with heavy armour and defensive armament, as well as simplifying production. Without a defensive capability, the crew would be kept down to a mere two, the pilot and a navigator. At the time, it seemed such a foreign concept, a bomber with no guns. After all, this was the era of the Flying Fortress, of four-engine aluminium overcasts carrying tons of machine guns, ammunition, ammo cans and belts and complex turret units. Adding the weight of the gunners themselves, dressed in heavy heated gear, helmets and flak jackets, sucking oxygen from tanks, and this could add up to one-sixth of a heavy bomber's empty weight three extra tons in the case of the B-17, plus the drag of blisters and turrets, gun barrels poking into the slipstream and wide-open waste windows. De Havilland's design seemed too radical for the Ministry, but he found a supporter in Air Marshal Freeman, and although the AOCNC would not initially accept an unarmed bomber, a photo-reconnaissance version was ordered. The Mosquito was about to spring to life when the design team were denied the materials they needed and work on the prototype stopped. It wasn't until the end of the Battle of Britain that E-0234 rolled out. In trials, it easily outpaced a Spitfire, and when it was demonstrated to a group of dignitaries, US General Arnold recalled, The first time I saw it, I was impressed by its performance. The Mosquito was, by the standards of the time, an extremely well-streamlined aeroplane, and it was highly regarded, highly respected. The Wooden Wonder, the Timber Terror, the Loping Lumberyard was to become one of the most exciting, flexible, and well-known aircraft of its era. But why was it made out of wood? It wasn't just that spruce, birch plywood, and Ecuadorian balsa weren't strategic materials and were therefore in plentiful supply. Furniture factories, cabinet makers, luxury auto coach builders, and piano makers could quickly be turned into subcontractors. Also, wood, particularly when covered with a thin layer of doped fabric, made a remarkably smooth, low-drag surface free of rivets and seams. Wood's chief advantage was that it was easy to work with and was a material that craftspeople had been shaping for millennia. 
components were also made as composites, which made them both light and remarkably strong. The bomber version had a maximum speed of over 360 knots, a ceiling of 37,000 feet, and it carried a bomb load of 4,000 pounds. However, this was not the only version to be built. The Mosquito became a long-range photo recce aircraft, both a day and night fighter, an anti-submarine hunter, a mine layer, a high-speed VIP transport and courier, a torpedo bomber, a trainer, and several special mission types were created. The Mosquito relied as much on altitude as pure speed, and if they were bounced from above, their saving grace lay in putting the nose down, manoeuvring, and trusting that there were clouds to escape into. Fortunately, there were very few German fighters, one being the jet-powered ME-262, that could outrun them. Such was the level of annoyance that the Mosquito caused the German high command. A bounty was put on the aircraft, and any fighter pilot who shot one down was allowed to claim two kills. The Mosquito wasn't a simple aircraft to fly. It was compared with a thoroughbred racehorse, which needed skilled handling. With its high power-to-weight ratio and high wing loading, it was a handful for an inexperienced pilot. Its VMC speed, the speed it could be kept under control with rudder when on only one engine, was an eye-watering 170 knots or more. After takeoff, there would be a breath-stopping period whilst the aircraft accelerated when an engine failure might mean death. As a consequence, the pilots chosen to fly them were picked because of their handling skills and experience. They became an elite group. The control forces of the Mozzie were light throughout the speed range, which made the chances of overstressing the airframe a distinct possibility. Coarse use of the elevators in a dive or when turning at high speed was forbidden, and heavy rudder use to achieve large yaw angles was also to be avoided. Landing was another area where careful handling was required. With flaps deployed, the aircraft became very tail-heavy, and it had a vicious power-on stall that would quickly develop into a spin. Eric Winkles-Brown flew the original carrier landing attempts, and he knew that getting the aircraft slow enough to land on the deck, nearly 50 knots below its normal landing speed, would be a problem. If we got too low and slow on the approach, he said, it was going to be a fatality. Hitler was furious to see the Mozzie flying unopposed over Berlin, being fruitlessly chased by several ME-109s and Focke-Wulf 190s. And Hermann Goering wasn't exactly a fan either. He famously said, It makes me furious when I see the Mosquito. I turn green and yellow with envy. The British, who can afford aluminium better than we can, knocked together a beautiful wooden aircraft that every piano factory over there is building. They have the geniuses, and we have the nincompoops. Berlin was a frequent mosquito target, for the airplane had the range to reach it, and the heft to carry at first four five hundred pounders, and later as much as a two-ton blockbuster bomb, and to do it at 35,000 feet. 
one famous three-plane mosquito raid on Berlin in January 1943 was precisely time to arrive, just as Goering began an 11 a.m. radio address celebrating the Nazi Party's 10th anniversary. Sounds of confusion could be heard in the background, and the broadcast was rescheduled later in the day. At four o'clock that afternoon, more mosquitoes arrived again to interrupt the speech, this time by Joseph Goebbels. Although the mosquito flew thousands of routine bombing missions, it was also perfect for high-profile specialist raids, such as Operation Jericho, against the Armen's prison, which housed some 700 French resistance and political prisoners, 258 of which escaped after the walls were breached. The Oslo Raid, the Aarhus Raid and Operation Carthage were made against the Gestapo headquarters of Oslo, Copenhagen and Jutland respectively. All these audacious attacks involved ultra-low-level precision bombing for which the Mosquito was ideally suited. The Mozzie often flew raids carrying the two-ton blockbuster bombs, and it was also modified to carry a pair of Barnes Wallace's famous bouncing bombs, called highballs. They were to be dropped against turpits, and were designed to bounce over the torpedo nets, hit the side of the battleship, and slide down its flanks to explode below the waterline. Before they could be deployed, the Lancasters dropping six-ton Tallboys, another of Barnes Wallace's inventions, did the job. The speed of the Mosquito also made it an ideal fighter to use against the V-1 flying bomb, whose ram-air pulse jet engine buzzed its way over the channel towards London by the thousand. During a two-month period alone, the Mozzie accounted for 600 doodlebugs. The largest gun ever mounted on the Mosquito was the 12-foot-long Moulin's 57mm rapid-fire cannon. The aircraft that received this modification were called the Tsetse, after the deadly African fly, and their speciality was sub-hunting in the Bay of Biscay. The bay was too shallow to allow the U-boats to submerge, so they had to dash across the surface. The Tsetse sank enough of them that they were forced to abandon daylight activities. The Tsetses also destroyed more than a few Luftwaffe aircraft, as the effect of a single 57mm projectile was devastating. In common with the B-17 crews that I mentioned, the Mosquito airmen pressed their attacks with no less bravery. One such pilot was Group Captain Leonard Cheshire, who flew many types, including the Mosquito, and was awarded the Victoria Cross. In his citation, several of his exploits were mentioned. This officer began his operational career in June 1940. Against strongly defended targets, he soon displayed the courage and determination of an exceptional leader. He was always ready to accept extra risks to ensure success. Over Cologne in 1940, a shell burst inside his aircraft, blowing out one side and starting a fire. Undeterred, he went on to bomb his target. At the end of his first tour of operational duty in January 1941, he immediately volunteered for a second. Again, he pressed home his attacks with the utmost gallantry. Berlin, Bremen, Cologne, Duisburg, Essen and Kiel were among the heavily defended targets which he attacked. 
In October 1943, he undertook a fourth operational tour, relinquishing the rank of group captain at his own request so that he could again take part in operations. He immediately set to work as the pioneer of a new method of marking enemy targets involving very low flying. In June 1944, when marking a target in the harbour at Le Havre, in broad daylight and without cloud cover, he dived well below the range of the light batteries before releasing his marker bombs, and he came very near to being destroyed by the strong barrage which concentrated on him. While developing the target marking techniques of the Pathfinder force, his citation went on to read that Munich was selected at Wing Commander Cheshire's request because of the formidable nature of its light anti-aircraft and searchlight defences. As he reached the target, flares were being released by our high-flying aircraft. He was illuminated from above and below. All guns within range opened fire on him. Diving to 700 feet, he dropped his markers with great precision and began to climb away. So blinding were the searchlights that he almost lost control. He then flew over the city at a thousand feet to assess the accuracy of his work and direct other aircraft. His own was badly hit by shell fragments, but he continued to fly over the target area until he was satisfied that he had done all in his power to ensure success. Eventually, when he set course for base, the task of disengaging himself from the defences proved even more hazardous than the approach. For a full 12 minutes after leaving the target area, he was under withering fire, but he came through safely. In four years of fighting against the bitterest opposition, he has maintained a record of outstanding personal achievement, placing himself invariably in the forefront of the battle. What he did in the Munich operation was typical of the careful planning, brilliant execution, and contempt for danger, which has established for Wing Commander Cheshire a reputation second to none in Bomber Command. Cheshire's life is worthy of a plain tale all of its own, as his accomplishments went on well after the war, as did those of the Mosquito. Unlike the B-17, the Mozzie continued to be produced after the war ended, and it was not until 1950 that the RAF finally replaced it with the jet-powered English electric Canberra. Nearly 5,000 were produced by de Havilland's in the UK alone, but many more were made under licence in Canada and Australia. Like the B-17, it was loved by those who learned to master it and who looked back on it with respect for its accomplishments. From May 1943 to May 1945, Mosquitoes took part in 26,936 sorties for only 106 losses and 88 aircraft damaged beyond repair. The Mosquito ended the war with the lowest loss rate of any aircraft in RAF Bomber Command service. Mosquito, what a great machine. I just like to say mosquito. It's a fun word. <laughs> I like to slap him myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what an amazing airplane. And um, it was interesting to hear the 
advantages of construction uh, over you know the, the the steel or not steel but uh, metal, metallic. Oh, yeah, I, I think uh, an aircraft that that time that could uh, outrun almost every any fighter that had been currently uh, built um, was a brilliant. Uh, it's a masterstroke, really. Um, so uh, you know, it it was. I won't say it was an untouchable, but the loss rates just speak for themselves. Um, uh, uh, well over three thousand B seventeens lost, uh, each carrying ten crew members. Wow, and. A mere 108 uh, mosquitoes lost, only carrying two crew members. The stats just speak for themselves. I saw a great video. Um, I guess it's on YouTube somewhere um, where they were a restored mosquito and they were flying it around. And I was uh, just amazed at you know the controls, how they like they'd move the control yoke over to the right, and then the airplane would go um, okay. And then start. I mean, I get probably the same kind of reaction that many of these airplanes, probably the B seventeen as well, where you know they're just big just lumbering, a bit sluggish on the controls, just a little bit. And this thing was actually doing kind of some low level flying as well. And I'm thinking, uh, you know, you have to really think ahead on that kind of airplane uh, when you're when you're down low to the ground. Um, I'll see if I can dig up that um, that video that I was looking at. It was quite some time ago, but uh, yeah, the uh, bomber version had a yoke. The fighter version, they insisted on giving the a, a, a central stick. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, it filled a lot of roles as well. Um, so uh, you know, and uh, someone's just Tony's just asked uh, in the chat room, did it do daylight raids? Yes, a lot of its raids were daylight, and a lot of its raids were in uh, um, uh, very dangerous situations. The Pathfinders, uh, who went ahead of the major um, night bomb raids. Uh, were over the target, marking the target with special um, luminous flares uh, and incendiaries um, so that the main bomber force could uh, clearly identify where they were supposed to be putting their bombs and the uh, pathfinders would stay over the target um, talking to the master bombers in the main force telling them where their bombs are going, where they're going short, where they're going long, uh, which flares, and they would often have to go in and remark the targets. And they were doing this at low level. So they were in the thick of it. And they're still, because of their speed and agility, their loss rate was uh, incredibly low. Awesome. And other interesting tidbit from your uh, wonderful plane tales there, Captain Jeff learned about his uh, namesake, Jeffrey de Havilland. Yeah, de Havilland. I didn't know the guy's name was Jeffrey. What a What a great name. Ah, but Prob- with a G. I uh, uh, knew, I knew he was gonna. Dang yeah. it! <laughs> Let's see. Uh, there you go. Oh well. I'm sorry, Jeff. It's terrible. <laughs> uh, yeah, here we go. That's a more appropriate. You should be running the soundboard stuff. If you want, you know there what you go. Do you, want. Want. <laughs> you may regret that after. Oh wait a minute. <laughs> well, it is between the both of us, so uh, yeah, she has I'll easy just- access to it. <laughs> like this one. I'm sure I would never use that sound effect. No. For anything that you, any what, of you, you would never talk flush, about. Steph? That's a bit oh, of a No, no, mis- just, just to not refer to anything at all. that you all would talk about. <laughs> Didn't your parents all. teach you anything? <sighs> Sorry, Dad. Yeah. It saves water. <laughs> That's right. It does. Yeah, it's going green, actually. What? Did you say? We're going green. Going green? That was stuff, by the way. I'm nervous for a while. We're going green. 
All right. You got to love this song. I do. It's the best. We're going green. Steph's not. No, Steph's going green. We're going to take. She's not flushing. She's going green. (laughs) Actually, there's a bit of a discussion in the uh, chat room about the um, the raids that the mozzies did on uh, the French prison and the various Gestapo headquarters, where they often ran down at street level uh, to deliver their bombs with with precision. Uh, in the um, raid they did on the prison, they had to uh, impact on the uh, perimeter wall as uh, and also hit the, um, the sort of rooms or the buildings where the guards were all having their lunch. They timed it so all the guards would be in there having their lunch. And then they also had to hit the building uh, to create um, a, a, an escape uh, hole uh, hopefully without killing too many of the prisoners. Uh, obviously, quite a few died, but uh, uh, there was a significant number who escaped. Um, but I, in my investigations, I also found out about a, a Bowfighter, which was a kind of similar-looking airplane, the Bowfighter, uh, another twin-engined uh, light bomber. Um, and uh, the Bowfighter, one bloke went uh, on a special mission, and uh, he flew... Uh, down the uh, Champs-Élysées in uh, Paris with a, a, a special huge tricolor which was uh, weighted in the corners and they dispatched it through a tube in the bottom that they normally drop flares through as they passed over the Arc de Triomphe and draped the Arc de Triomphe with this huge uh, French tricolor and then they proceeded to continue down, strafing the Sunday morning, I think it was a Sunday morning, uh, parades that the uh, German troops held in the middle of the street there. Uh, and all havoc, you know, shooting German soldiers <laughs> coming in literally below the level of the second-story windows. People were looking down on them. This was purely done as a morale boost for the French, the Parisians, who were obviously <laughs> under occupation at the time. And I would love <laughs> to awesome. have seen that with the, <laughs> this trickler coming flying out of the sky and this lone bowfighter, you know, strafing down uh, on the German soldiers uh, in the middle of this huge avenue. Would have been fabulous. Yeah, that would have been. You know, we were talking about, um, I, was it the last show or the one before? Um, somebody had asked us what our most scariest mm. experience was on an airplane. Yeah, it was, it was recent. Yeah, very recent. And uh, we received a little bit of audio feedback from someone re- uh, relating to their most scary story. This is Miami Hick. I was listening to last week's podcast and I heard everybody talk about their scary stories on planes. So. I thought I'd chime in and let everybody know my scary story. It was actually on an MD-88, and we weren't even in the air. We were still on the ground when I heard the most terrifying sound I've ever heard. Hello, everyone, and welcome aboard. My name is Captain Jeff. And uh, that was scary enough right in itself. But we'll come across the, the sound I heard next. It is the stuff of nightmares. It makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. And it is something that I will never forget. It will live in my nightmares for as long as I live. And assisting me today is First Officer Dana. That's right. Got a double whammy. Captain Jeff 
and First Officer Dana on the same flight. I was terrified. I hit the emergency slide. I ran across the tarmac like a little girl screaming. And uh, that is something I will never forget. And I uh, hope nobody else ever has to experience that like I did. So I'm still in therapy. Uh, hopefully we'll get over it uh, after a couple more years of uh, daily sessions. Um, so I uh, just want to let everybody know my scary experience on the tarmac there. Miami Hick. Over and out. My scariest experience was seeing some dude running on the tarmac, screaming like a little girl. After deploying the slide? Yeah. And he, I think he had a beer in his hand as well. Mm. Grab a beer on the way up. <laughs> Went for the road. Yeah. Did, isn't that what the guy did uh, for JetBlue uh, before he yeah. blew the slide and left? I think he grabbed a beer. <laughs> yeah. Why did you and Dana used to work for JetBlue as well? Well, you know, we don't want to really talk about our past and the real airlines that we've worked with. Oh, sorry. Just to protect them. They're protecting the innocent, really. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you, Miami Hick, for that, I think. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, he said we were at the baseball game and he said, hey, I need to borrow your voice for something. And so he told me, you know, what to say. <laughs> Didn't realize he was going to be so mean use it against you yeah that's great oh well done well oh. done yes indeed all right uh let's see um, ray my neighbor to the north in alpharetta uh sent in um a piece of audio feedback we were talking about uh, i think uh episode 275 uh visual illusions and uh, this was an interesting story that uh ray tells us about so without further ado Take it away, Ray. Hi, Captain Jeff. This is Ray Williams from Alpharetta. I've just finished listening to episode 275, during which Glenn the Kiwi had brought up the question of whether any of you guys had uh, been uh, affected or impacted by any illusions during your flying. And listening to the conversations brought to mind a pretty interesting crash uh, some time ago. In fact, I thought Dana was going to go there, uh, but he went in a different direction. And this was a crash on December the 4th, 1965. Wow, on that day, I was probably in the middle of my matric exams. Anyway, it was uh, an Eastern Airlines uh, L1049 Constellation, Flight 853, and a TWA 707, Flight 42. The TWA had left San Francisco early in the morning on a flight to JFK. The Eastern Connie was one of their normal shuttles from Boston to Newark. The Connie was at its flight plan direct southwest from Boston to the Carmel Vortex at an altitude of 10,000 feet. Also approaching the Carmel Vortex was the TWA 707. It was flying at 11,000 feet and was on autopilot with altitude hold mode engaged. From the perspective of the Eastern Airlines Connie, they had just come out of a little cauliflower tuft of cloud that rose about 300 feet above the normal cloud level. And as they did so, the co-pilot looking out of his right window saw the, the 707 coming. He yelled, look out, grab the yoke and hauled the constellation up into a climb. On the flight deck of the 707, the captain looked through his window and saw the blue and white constellation roughly at his 10 o'clock. Immediately, he disconnected the autopilot 
and threw the 707 into a hard right climbing turn. In spite of his efforts, he saw that the collision with the constellation was going to be inevitable. The 707, with its left wing high, sliced into the tailplane of the constellation, round about the right fin and rudder, slicing that off and also taking a huge chunk out of the rear fuselage, taking with it the hydraulic system and all the control cables to the elevators and rudders. And from that moment on, there began two really heroic feats of airmanship. TWA-42 uh, contacted New York ARTCC, declared a mayday, and told them that their left wingtip was missing. Uh, New York issued them vectors and got them down to JFK, and they landed uh, more or less without incident. However, things were very different on the Eastern Connie. With the hydraulics gone, uh, they started to climb for a while, then they started to dive, and the captain was pretty much unable to control the aircraft. The flight engineer issued a mayday, told control that they had had a collision, and they were out of control. And his conversation kind of must have been very confusing because he said, we're in a dive now, we're climbing now, we're descending, we're at 7,000 feet. And in a similar fashion to the DC-10 many years later at Sioux City, Captain White could control the Connie only through the, the throttles and power, taking power on and off the engines. Where When the aircraft was uh, starting to dive, he could put the, some power on and lift the nose and vice versa to bring the nose down. And they passed over Danbury Airport, but they were too high to get into that. And they soon became apparent that they were going to have to crash land somewhere. With the loss of the right-hand fin and rudder, the constellation tended to circle to the left, so the captain had to apply more power on the left-hand engines to straighten it out. And um, they had a lake on one side. They had kind of a hill in front of them. And they knew they weren't going to get to an airport. They, they saw an, an open field, and they started to head for that. The problem was that this field sloped upwards. So in addition to having little control over the aircraft, they were going to have to do a crash landing uh, onto an uphill surface. To further complicate matters, there was a, a couple of barns and a concrete silo in this field. So in addition to landing the crippled aircraft, the captain had to fly the plane between these buildings and then get onto the ground. And of course, with no controls, he had at the very last minute to put on full power to lift the nose up so that the plane didn't go straight into the side of the hill. As the plane touched down, the left wing smashed into a tree stump and was torn off, and the plane hit a gully and bounced and skidded up the hill. As the left wing tore off, the fuel took fire, there was a huge ball of yellow flame that shot into the air, and the damaged aircraft slid up the hill. Uh, four engines came off, and the remaining parts of the tail came off. The stub of the left wing dug into the ground and caused the plane to somersault to, to the left a bit, and the fuselage under that strain cracked into three pieces. And in that fashion, it slid up about 700 feet up the hill and came to a stop with the front and the rear ends roughly going back down the slope. Amazingly, most of the passengers survived this, and with some help from the cabin crew, 
most of them managed to get out. But amongst the passengers that didn't was a soldier, a private Dennis Flucker, and his seatbelt jammed while his colleagues tried to help him unfasten it. They couldn't. And finally, the heat of the flames caused them to have to leave, and he was left in the aircraft. The co-pilot and the flight engineer both survived. They exited through the captain's window. No one can say exactly what happened to the captain. Later on, his body was found back in the fuselage. It appears that he had succeeded in releasing the seatbelt of Private Flucker, but at that stage, oxygen cylinders had started to explode, and the fire was very bad, and both of them succumbed to the the heat and the, the fumes. And so let me get back to why I'm telling you about this accident. Both aircraft were flying at their assigned altitudes. There was a thousand feet between their, their two altitudes. However, the cloud, which was unbroken, sloped upwards from the south towards the, the north. And so in the brief moments during which the flight crew of each aircraft had an opportunity to see the other, it appeared that the other aircraft was at the same height above the clouds as they were. And thus they assumed it was at the same altitude and they took understandable but incorrect evasive maneuvers and they collided. Had they had more time to assess the situation, they might have come to the realization that they were going to miss. Had either of them taken different evasive action, the collision could have been avoided. But as it was, they did what they thought was correct with the incorrect visual evidence behind them. So um, that was that story. And yeah, and I can see how easily this happens. You know, it's, it comes down to almost like, you know, the, the cartoon double take. You do that second look because your first look gave you some sort of improbable image uh, and you do the double take to check it out and probably come to your senses. I can remember many years ago, I was in a Pan Am 747 at uh, Kai Tak in Hong Kong. We were taxiing out and I happened to turn, look out the window and I thought, there's a VC-10 out there. And then I saw the big red flag with the hammer and sickle on the tail and I realized it was just an illusion. Talk to you later, guys. Uh, hope there's going to be a meetup sometime in the Atlanta area soon. Take care, folks. Fly safely. Cheers. Oh, I get it. It was just an illusion. Nice one, oh. Ray. Ha, ha, ha. Very good. <laughs> he, he actually included a, a, a snap shot of the uh, illusion or illusion. Your choice. Hey, right. We did have um, a meetup in Atlanta just last weekend, but uh, I guess uh, you were busy or something. Didn't know know about it, but uh, had a great time at the game and hope to have another meetup in Atlanta sometime soon. And uh, it'll be good to see you. Thanks again, as always, for your great feedback. But th- what a story. Yeah, great story. Really interesting. Yeah, what a brave guy the captain was to uh, have gone back and tried to release uh, that last duck passenger. Mm-hmm. Steph and I were talking about how the fact that this Electra crashed and there were only like, what, two or three deaths, I think, total, yep. including the captain. Um, and it's just amazing to me that not it everybody whole, yeah, yeah. just died on that thing. It's a 
pretty amazing flying skills. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. Um, let's continue. More audio feedback. We love the audio feedback. This is from Tom Seagraves. I believe that uh, Captain Nick, you've met up with uh, Tom in the Kansas City area, right? Oh, yes. All right. Uh, just heard your discussion on Mad Dog Captain up- Upgrades, and it made me curious about a couple of things. So here you go. So let's take a listen to Tom. Hello, APG crew. This is Tom from Columbia, Missouri. I was just uh, driving down the road listening to episode 277, and you guys were having your conversation about um, the uh, six-month first officer getting promoted to captain, and uh, I really, uh, really uh, enjoyed everyone's uh, take on that. Um, my question, I have a couple of questions about that. So I spent several years in, in uh, retail management where I, uh, I was running uh, multi-million dollar stores for a, a big company. And one of the things that I had to do uh, a lot was, uh, was promote uh, managers, train them, get them sent off to other locations. Or uh, for several years, I would go into a location that was in trouble and fix it. I'd be there anywhere from nine months to 18 months. I would, uh, I would uh, fix it. And a big part of that was promoting people into management. Um, and, you know, we had several things that we looked for when we did that. So I guess um, my question is, that's the perspective I have on someone getting promoted. When ACME looks at promoting uh, a first officer into captain, I know based on listening to you guys for, for years and years, you know, I know seniority is, is everything. Uh, but is that the only thing when it comes to that? So if anyone, you know, with enough seniority gets promoted or asked for a promotion, is it going to happen? Or does the chief pilot or other people in the chain of command, do they look at these people and say, well, he ha- okay, he was a captain at this other regional for a long time, or he's been a first officer for this many years and he's got, you know, good performance reviews. Uh, or is it, you know, would someone say, well, he's only been here six months and while his seniority's there, we just, there's no track record. He wasn't in leadership anywhere else. And we, you know, there's no track record for this guy being in leadership. So, you know, we're not going to promote him. We're going to let him have some mileage as a first officer. Uh, and the second question I have is, is really for first officer Dana. Uh, Dana, you've been sitting in that right seat for uh, a long time. And I, I don't recall how many years you've been there for ACME, but you've been sitting in that right seat for quite a while. How does it make you feel, uh, you know, when you hear about a guy that's been there six months getting a promotion, you know, the same promotion that you just got after the years you've been there? Um, what does that do to your morale? You know, maybe nothing, but it's just one of the thoughts I had uh, when I heard about all that. So anyway, thanks again, guys, for everything. I really enjoy the podcast, and I look forward to your answer on all of that. Talk to you soon. Well, Dana Dana has left um, the uh, show, but I think Steph and I were talking. We could probably answer for mm-hmm. Dana. He, he really is happy for them, and um, yeah. Well, very, very happy. Very happy. Very enthusiastic. Ecstatic. For the opportunities that they have. Yes. It wishes them nothing but the best. 
Right, Dana? Maybe he's listening to this after the fact. Um, Read in whatever sarcasm in that statement you would like. So, you know, uh, Tom, you make several good points. And I think that there are probably other airlines out there that have policies, in effect, that cover this kind of a situation. But I think that at Acme, they didn't have these policies set up because it's absolutely unheard of that somebody could get hired by an airline and not even uh, while they were still on probation and not even with the airline for a year, uh, if they have the seniority to do so. And in in this case, this is what's happening. They have the ability to upgrade to captain uh, right away. And, I think that uh, it just caught the airline flat-footed, to be honest with you. And it was like, oh, we never thought that this would ever happen. So we were, we never considered even coming up with a policy. And, and of course, the way it works is that they work with our representatives, uh, the union representatives uh, for uh, the Airline Pilots Association, to come up with uh, – because everything is based on the contract. So if the company had a policy, you got to be with the company for – X number of years and have this kind of experience and this many hours and that kind of thing, that would be something that would be worked out and negotiated with with the uh, with the union. I'm pretty sure that the, that's the way it works. But uh, I don't know. Do you have any kind of a, a a policy like that, Captain Nick, in place with uh, Acme Red, or is it again one of those things? Well, <laughs> that's never going to happen, so we're not even going to work out a policy. Uh, you're, you're still muted. Sorry, old chap. Um, I was just going to say the um, company has had to – why Steph giggling? (laughs) Well, you have birds flying around your head. I was giggling not because of the birds flying around your head, but because my thought was the reason he's still muted is because he's been playing around with his camera and not (laughs) paying attention to the other settings that are necessary for an audio podcast. I'm actually actually busy uh, trying to fix Dana's computer with the suggestion. Yeah, I'm going to send, I'll send him that a link. You don't, don't worry about it. I got it. You can go ahead and uh, continue. Okay. Right. Back to the, uh, the discussion in hand. (laughs) We're doing a show. Um, (laughs) Yeah. The company's had to uh, think on its feet because uh, it's, it's come across um, things that are not in the contract. For example, uh, First time we had redundancies, it wasn't specifically written in the contract that it was uh, uh, last in, first out. Uh, And um, there was a great deal of discussion as to whether they were going to get rid of a fleet and all their pilots uh, or just the new joiners. Um, And in fact, as it turned out, um, we paid effectively to have that put in to the company contract and uh, it turned out to be last in, first out, which is what most airlines run. But the company just didn't want to do that. Um, so uh, the, you have to remember that not everything is is ever going to be there. But we run, and uh, my outfit, we run a, a strictly uh, seniority-based uh, promotion. So um, you get offered a promotion when uh, your seniority number comes up. And, uh, and that's really it. Uh, I, and my father uh, always said, grab the first uh, promotion uh, offer you ever get. He said, just in case something happens, you never get another one. Um, and in fact, I t- didn't do that because I was offered a promotion onto an A320 because um, we used to have some uh, way back. Um, and I knew that 340 promotions were only going to be just behind, and I kept my fingers crossed, and it worked for me because only a few months later uh, I got a command course on the 340. But um, so 
my feeling is uh, you should always grab permission uh, as soon as you can, get your foot in the door. But, uh, but there you go. And I don't understand how a company can bring in people uh, and promote them ahead of you uh, unless there's something written in the contract that allows them to do that. Well, I guess in this case, it's a situation of you have to ask for it. In the first case, you have to bid for it. Mm-hmm. So if you don't bid for it, you're not going to get it. Right. It's not like someone's. It's not, it's not in other like in other um, professions or fields where you may be approached for a promotion. Um, although I I don't know maybe at some airlines you would be. But so first of all, you have to ask for it. So if you don't, then you have no one to blame but yourself in that regard. Um, but it, you know, you guys always talk about, or at least I've heard it talked about in the past, where airlines are really hiring future captains. So if they think you have that potential, then maybe the timeline isn't as important, right? In some cases, and maybe so. maybe it's not so much of a shock for the management of the company as it is for those of us who have been flying the line right. forever and the way it has always been for decades, and now all of a sudden we're in this new world where things are happening so quickly that it's just tough for us to, you know, it's one thing to go, okay, I understand. Yes. The company is hiring pilots, not just to be first officers, but to be captains and to actually live through the practicality of that. It's just, uh, it's, it's just kind of a, it's a different thing. It's hard. Well, you know, change is always, yeah, it's hard to swallow. Definitely. But, you know, rest assured, though, the uh, you mentioned it, you know, it's hard to believe that you don't have any like other, you know, safe or what do they call stop gaps or safety safeguards, safeguards. Thank you. um, In place for, you know, what if this person just isn't the right person to be a captain? And of course, we hope that before somebody bids for this, they do a self-assessment and go, you know what? I just I'm just not ready. I mean, honestly. I would not have done it if if I were in this world right now. I I was even kind of staying on the engineer panel for longer than I needed to because I thought I just want to take this whole thing slowly. I want to learn this system. I'm in no hurry to co- expose myself to any risk and everything else. So I just want to stay where I am. It's kind of comfortable. I'm understanding my job and my role. And uh, now I'm ready for moving up to first officer. And I want to do this for a while. And of course, you know, a lot of that is because when you're a first officer on a three pilot crew, it's like basically being retired. Honestly, it's uh, sounds like the nicest job to have. It is like the best job out there. I mean, I'd still do it if I could, as long as it paid <laughs> as much as I'm getting paid now as a captain. But uh, it's, it's just awesome. But uh, so I was flying with a guy couple of trips ago and he works with the uh, new hires uh, he's one of the uh, new hire mentor coordinators and I, we were talking about this and he said look he said you know we we've been having many many discussions about this and so if somebody bids for a captain and they're in training and it's just clear that they are not going to be able to do what is necessary to be a captain and I know you know it's hard to in a simulator environment to understand judgment and that kind of thing and that's like one of those real world things where you really don't know but you can kind of get an inkling with somebody i'm sure you can get a, a sense and, for, and he said you know they're not going to they're they're, they're going to be pass things the that they course. can do yeah. to keep somebody from actually getting out there and becoming a captain if if that person really can't do it and honestly as well i should say that i've flown with many <laughs> in fact my last trip my last three-day trip and this trip 
again, flying with a brand new guy. This guy's only been with us for a couple of months. And the, the, the guy that I just flew the trip with and the guy that I'm flying with right now, I mean, they're, they are, um, flying the airplane extremely well, uh, very smoothly there. You can tell that they are concerned about what the passenger is experiencing in the back and everything else. And I'm, I'm very, very, I have to say pleasantly surprised at the caliber of the people that my company is hiring, uh, at, at a, an amazing clip that we've never seen before. And the two people that I've flown with who actually have captain's bids, um, were like super sharp. And, uh, so, I, I'm not really concerned uh, about the, the the future of our of our company, you know, regarding mm-hmm. this whole rapid thing. And one of the reasons why these people are getting these captain slots on my airplane is because, well, this airplane has been ear note or earmarked for retirement, and it's a done deal. They say it's going to be gone in three years or whatever. And people don't want to when you're new with a company, you don't want to get an airplane that's going to be gone. Right. So it's the, a dead end street. So the amount of people trying to go this route are potentially smaller yeah. or voluntarily. And going they're going, so many of their, a lot of these guys are saying their, their peers are going, why did you bid the uh, mad dog? I mean, you know, come on, what's, what's wrong with you? And, and these people say, well, I see some opportunities here mm-hmm. and they're smart. And perhaps it makes sense for them, for their current situation, for the base that they live in, for mm-hmm. where seniority they want to seniority commuting. for commuting, for trips they want to bid. So it, it yep. may make a lot of sense for their particular situation at that particular time. So, you know, there's there's a lot of things that go into it. It's not just right. You know, this is the airplane I want to fly. And but the majority of their peers are going. Well, I'm going to something that's going to be the future. Right. And at Acme, it looks like the future is Airbus. <laughs> I'm sorry, I accidentally hit that sound. Steph, why did you push that? <gasps> I <Yeah>. would never. <laughs> Just kidding. There's surely there should be a bit of cheering there somewhere. <laughs> the I'm sorry. That's the one I meant to push. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, Strangely, we can't find uh, it right now. I'm, I'm looking. Lots of Frenchmen going, oh, that's a wonderful. Oui, oui. Oui, oui, oui. It says the Airbus pilot with the twee birds flying around his head. Cut it down. Cut it down. All right. Uh, so, there. That's what we have to say about that. And unfortunately, Dana was not here to express his um, elation. Now, you've got another um, upgrade slash airplane related um, Do I? Where? piece of feedback farther down um, okay. from Brad. Brad. Well, then I think that this might be a good time to play his feedback. Sure. All right. Hi, APG crew. Uh, Brad from North Dakota calling to leave some uh, audio feedback. Um, been a long time listener to the show back from when it first began, um, in the days when Captain Jeff had the time to actually answer all his feedback and even send people personal emails. So I was lucky to receive a few of those over the years. Um, a couple of questions. Um, the first one is for Captain Jeff and first officer, soon to be Captain Dana. I was just wondering what your thoughts are about possibly wanting to fly the Bombardier C series at some point in the future. Uh, my understanding is that Acme Airlines has le- ordered a uh, quite a large number of these, and just reading different reports, including some pilot reports, it looks like it's a pretty nicely designed airliner, and it looks like it would be a lot of fun to fly that. Um, I guess the size range is it's sort of the size of a 717, maybe up to the size of a MD-88 or MD-90, depending upon which one they decide to order, and it'll probably fly a lot of the same sort of uh, missions that the uh, the current Mad Dog fleet flies. So I was just wondering in terms of you know lifestyle, et cetera, if either of you guys would consider um, switching over to that when it comes online, given the fact it allows you to um, essentially do a lot of the same kind of flying that you're doing right now, while also flying what is you know if not the 
the most advanced airliner in the sky pretty uh, pretty close. Just wondering about that. Uh, my other question was for Captain Nick and involves the, uh, the use of sticks. And we're talking side sticks here, not any other type of stick, just to clarify that point. And I was just wondering what Captain Nick, as a longtime Airbus pilot, um, thinks about the value of, uh, of adding an active as opposed to a passive side stick control to the uh, fly-by-wire aircraft that, that use side sticks. Um, my understanding is, is that uh, some of the newer business jets, like I think either the Gulfstream 650 or possibly the 550, actually have an active side stick where the two are linked and provide some sort of tactile feedback so that the uh, person in the left seat can tell what the person in the right seat is doing with the stick. Um, and how valuable that would be in terms of uh, maintaining situational awareness as to what the airplane is doing and controlling it in difficult circumstances, similar to the uh, Air France 447 type of scenario or anything else like that. Um, and the only other question I wanted to ask is uh, if Miami Rick is ever coming back or not. Um, we certainly enjoy having the current crew uh, a lot, but uh, he is missed. Anyway, thank you very much. Hopefully you get a chance to answer some of this feedback. And, uh, again, thank you guys for all the effort you go into in terms of putting the show on. It is awesome, and there's really not a lot more to say. Thanks again, and have a great day. Thanks, Brad. Has anybody ever said to you, Brad, that you sound a lot like Max Trescott? I know. It was very strange listening to him because I was thinking, yeah. Yeah, I was like, like Max Hedrum. Or Max Hedrum. <laughs> As we watch Captain Nick on the video with things flying around his head. It was birds at first. What do you have no, on you now? I think. Oh, I'm in love. Oh, are you? It's so best love. <laughs> yeah, we'll stop watching you then. <laughs> so uh, what's interesting is that uh, Brad used the, um, and uh, you know, I don't really even mention this um, way that you can send feedback in anymore. Uh, it's the uh, airline pilot guy feedback hotline. Uh, which is area code 30499-PILOT. Did I get that right? I think that's right. It's been so long since you yeah. mentioned it that I've forgotten that number. Yeah, Brad, uh, Brad used that. And one of the cool things, it's a Google voice number. Uh, the cool thing is that Google will uh, actually do a transcription. And uh, it's sometimes very humorous. <laughs> so that's what we have here in our show notes. And it's pretty pretty interesting to see the way it analyzed what he was saying and putting it to writing and it doesn't quite get it exactly right. And Liz, that's what we were laughing about. So we, we can't repeat any of it. I'm sorry. Right. It was more like the Ron Jeremy podcast. Mm -hmm. not our podcast. Um, anyway. Show. Yeah. <laughs> so let's see. What was the first thing he asked? Many, many C -series. things. C-series. Oh, yeah. The C-series. I agree with you, Brad. It looks like an awesome airplane. Um, and I am disappointed. You also talked about the active side stick or the Inceptor, I think they call that technology. I think that uh, I understand why Bombardier didn't include that um, as the, a standard feature or, or any. Uh, I don't know if that's an option or a standard, but it's, they, they didn't include that in their C-Series jet because I think it's very expensive. And uh, you know, when you're a when you're just coming out with a new airplane to begin with, I guess you want to try to keep the cost as low as you can so you can be competitive out there. I, apparently that's why they came to that decision. But um, anyway, getting back to the C-Series, you know, jumping on that airplane. I mean, I'm looking at everything I've read about it. It looks like a real pilot's airplane. And I really honestly love to fly. <laughs> I've never flown a new airplane ever in my life. The, the airplanes that I've flown throughout my entire career were already old, you know, tried, trusted, true 
airplanes and uh, never a brand new one. I, I'm not even sure I understand what it means, you know, the new airplane smell. I know what a new car smell is, but mm-hmm. never had the new airplane experience smell? of a new airplane smell. And that's I what I'm riding as a passenger. Similar. Yeah. I'd imagine. But um, so, yeah, the, the Canadians are making a, a, an amazing airplane. Unfortunately, and you kind of hinted at this in your feedback, you know, if, if this is going to be introduced to the Atlanta base where I live um, and the pay rate on it would be sig- or very similar to what the pay rate is that I'm getting now and I would have the seniority that I currently enjoy on this airplane, then I go, oh, heck yeah, I'd, I'd do that in a, in a, in a minute or less. Uh, but unfortunately, it's not going to be based in Atlanta right off the bat from what we hear. It's going to be on the West Coast somewhere. It's not going to pay, the pay rate's going to be lower than the pay rate that I'm getting right now. And my seniority probably wouldn't uh, be the same. I'm not sure about that aspect of it. But so that, those are all real world practical you know, quality of life things that as much as I'd love to fly this new whiz bang airplane, I'm not going to sacrifice the other things that I just talked about to do that. Um, so that, that would be my answer regarding that. Um, let's see what else did he say? Oh, the side, you want to talk about the side stick controller? I think he was talking to Nick about that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I thought uh, it was the beef stick. The beef stick, yeah. Well, you now you're reading <laughs> Google Voice Trends. Please stop there, actually, because that's oh, does it get worse? Yeah. 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 It talks about what he's doing with this not well, side with stick. The beef stick. <laughs> not the beef stick either. <laughs> Something about a race and uh, part of a male anatomy. So oh, okay. you know, Google Voice doesn't always get it quite right. It was close. Yeah, close. Very close. But um you know, you you fly an airplane, fly by wire that has the side stick controller. Nick, would you? Do you think that there's any, any advantage to uh, having that inceptor kind of a thing where you actually have active feedback um, in a side stick controller? Well, if it's uh, active feedback, in that uh, you get a reaction like a vibration in the same same way that uh, a computer game. Often uh, the controls there have active feedback. Uh, it's just a sort of tactile sense uh, that uh, something's occurring and uh, the computer wants to warn you about. Um, I can see that uh, having a place, but I would much rather they uh, spent their money uh, giving me a uh, fully um, functioning dual control system so that uh, when my uh, fellow pilot moved his stick, my stick moved in exactly the same way um, so that I could see what he's doing with the side stick um, and uh, could follow him through uh, to see what inputs he's putting in and also to see whether what the aircraft is doing is environmental or whether it's uh, being, uh, you know, controlled by the other pilot. So I'd have some sense of what's going on. I've said this in the past. For me, it's not a big factor with my company because we've got some very experienced uh, first officers. Um, I think uh, in the future... Um, perhaps uh, with the introduction of uh, lower hours or uh, the cadet system that's coming in, I think I would probably feel more comfortable if I could uh, see exactly what was going on uh, on the other side of the cockpit um, by being able to observe my stick or feel my stick and work out what inputs are being put in. Um, 
the one thing that happens if uh, you do move your stick to try and uh, correct a situation that's occurring is that, of course, you can end up in a situation where both pilots are trying to move their sticks and uh, the uh, aircraft interprets that as um, being uh, either a double the movement or no movement at all uh, because it sums the, the two levels of movements that's going in, uh, which is – uh, not really ideal. Uh, the only way that really uh, one pilot should just take control is to press his override button and just fly the airplane himself. Um, so I would much prefer there to be a, uh, a fully reactive um, side stick uh, so that uh, they both move together. It, that, it, for me, would be a much safer situation. I think that it's my understanding that that new, uh, made by Goodrich, the Inceptor kind of uh, tactile tactile feedback side stick controller does do that it's actually you know you'll you will see when you're moving it it'll actually move the other one so i think that that is one of the features of it and if that's the case i think that all of us would be for that kind of a uh, yeah i mean controller. it makes a lot of sense yeah absolutely yeah uh, i mean i'm and i'm a bit disappointed that the aircraft didn't come in with that i mean for yeah. years we've all had this system of being able to monitor what the other pilot's doing um, by following through on the controls, uh, whether you're teaching someone or whether they're an experienced pilot, it doesn't really matter. Um, the fact is that it's it's a comfort level so that you know uh, that the guy's handling the airplane correctly. Uh, and the uh, first officer does it to the captain as well. I mean, we all rest our hands on the stick, uh, even if we're not flying the airplane just in case the other guy um, has a, a problem and you need to take control at short notice. So uh, whenever we're close to the ground, we do that. Um, but it would be so nice to just feel what the other guy is actually physically doing with the stick. I think just following along on the controls would be adequate for explaining. <laughs> yeah, Ivor is saying, there's a lot of stick action going on here. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, oh, there, there is. Go. Oh, he said no sniggering. Oh, well, too late. <laughs> uh, some great questions, uh, Brad, uh, regarding the uh, side, active side Yeah, I like the question about the value of battling active as opposed to passive sides to control the Wi-Fi. So uh, <laughs> I think that was a great part of the question. Yes. And uh, as far as Miami Hick, yes, we're hopeful that he's going to be back with us in the future. So we miss him, too. Miami Hick? Miami Rick. Did I just say Miami? Hick? You did. My I bad. think. Well, we missed Miami Hick too, although we actually heard from him. <laughs> you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so let's see. Moving on. Oh, you know, the um, the uh, F-16, uh, the Thunderbirds incident that we were talking about recently, the uh, Georg from Switzerland. Thank you for uh, putting the phonetic pronunciation for me there. Georg? Oh, I'm sorry. I still messed it up. <laughs> Georg. Georg. Uh, dear APG crew, in 278, you mentioned the long time it took to remove the crew from an F-16 after an accident at the civilian airport. This is most likely due to the single-engine fighter having an emergency power unit that runs on hydrazine, to, which is like a rocket fuel, to keep the jet controllable in an engine failure. Hydrazine is a very dangerous chemical that is not present in other aircraft. I doubt that the civilian rescue teams are trained and equipped to deal with a hydrazine leak. Most likely they had to fly in an Air Force team to make sure that it is safe to approach the plane and rescue the crew. So I, you know what? I'm sure that you're right about that. In fact, I remember once I was 
at Hill Air Force Base in Utah in the 141, mm-hmm. and we were uh, carrying one of these big ICBM kind of missile things in the back, uh, boosters or whatever. I'm not sure exactly what it was, an Atlas maybe. Um, and we were on a kind of a remote pad because it was kind of a special thing that we were doing. And we were watching these uh, F-16s kind of getting ready. I don't know what you call that uh, when they 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 stop short of the uh, end of the runway and then their crew's out there making sure that all the uh, hard points I think we should are... the last chance checks. Okay. That's what they were doing. And apparently – say, Just safety up the – or arming up the missiles or whatever. Okay, thing. yeah. Uh, whatever they were doing. I've never flown a fighter, so I'm not sure exactly what they were doing out there. But all of a sudden, kind of in our peripheral vision, we see like this F-16 pilot like running <laughs> like away from his airplane. And and we're looking over like, what in the heck are we witnessing here? And <laughs> we're all looking at each other like, uh, this is not good. He's running away and we're like really close to this F-16. Like with, with purpose. Yeah. I mean, he is yeah. like, like okay. he is running for his life, literally. Mm-hmm. And uh, it turns out that there was some kind of a hydrazine leak. Uh, I guess they use that for the some kind of a power unit, uh, emergency power unit or something on the airplane. Uh, no idea. And we were kind of looking at each other like, are, should we should we be doing? Should we be out there running away too? Like this is one of those <laughs> yes. things where you see that guy running, everyone should follow him. Yeah, yeah. but uh, we didn't, and luckily I'm um, I'm still here today, so I, I guess everything worked out well. Uh, okay. Yeah, but you used to have dark hair. Yeah, that's maybe that's the hydrazine. <laughs> uh, let's see. Just quickly going through here. We're getting close to the end. Uh, Alexis sent in some uh, feedback. Uh, his name is Alexis David Fafard um, or Fafard. I'm not sure how you pronounce that, but uh, he is an, a policy advisor for a Canadian senator and a flight student at Ottawa, a- Ottawa Aviation Services. Uh, this is the first time he's contacted me, and he said, I must admit that I do have, oh, no. APG syndrome? Yeah. Doctor, doctor, got another one. Got yeah. Bad case. APG syndrome. APG syndrome. So contagious. This. APG syndrome. We're sorry to hear that, uh, Alexis. Oh, no. Another one went down. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, he, where did this go? How did I end up getting to switched over to the screen? I must have accidentally hit something. Here we go. I'm sending you this note to respond to Joyal, the young fellow willing to do his flight training in Canada. There is an excellent flight school based in the capital of Canada called Ottawa Aviation Services. The flight school is located next to Route 22 and, or R22 and R14 at uh, Charlie Yankee Oscar Whiskey. Is that the runways or is that the? Maybe that's the runway. Okay. Runway 22 and runway 14. I don't know. I strongly suggest Joyal and any people willing to take the airline path in Canada to contact OAS, Ottawa Aviation Services, to get some information about their IATP program. At OAS, we provide a rigorous, well-known, well-known IATP program, fully credited by or accredited by Transport Canada. We also have agreements with other air carriers such as Porter Airlines and Air Georgian for our successful candidates. Also wanted to take the opportunity to share some news. I'm starting to freelance and write articles on policy legal issues in Canadian aviation. Uh, a European aviation news website, aerotime.aero, has, I, I, I visit their site uh, actually quite often, has started to publish my articles. And so he put a link there uh, to one of his recent articles on aerotime.aero. 
While my website is not officially done and under construction, you can see my contents, comments, articles, that kind of thing. So we'll put that in the show notes as well. And he said, this is an absolute pleasure to finally enter in communication with you. Thank you. And again, that's from Alexis. And uh, you're welcome. And thank you for that advice for Joyelle and any others looking to do their flight training in Canada. Yep. I know he's trying to get the word out about his website, and I've been there and looked at it. Good content, especially about some of the policy, legal, aviation stuff, and kind of specific to Canada. So, yep. there you go. Excellent. And, oh, you know, Tanya is a new member of our community, and I had the uh, opportunity as well as Nick uh, had the opportunity as well to uh, meet with Tanya when we had that New York layover. And uh, she actually sent us some feedback, and I want to make sure we get her feedback played on today's show. So, Tanya, here you go. Hello, APG crew. This is Tanya in New York City with my first audio feedback. Captain Dana's scariest moment when he spoke about almost flying into power lines brought to mind the circumstances of Bill Graham's death. As one rolls as a famous music promoter, he would be flown in a helicopter to and from shows to avoid the California traffic. Reading from Wikipedia, Graham was killed in a helicopter crash west of Vallejo, California on October 25, 1991, while returning home from a Huey Lewis and the News concert at the Concord Pavilion. Graham had attended the event to discuss promoting a benefit concert for the victims of the 1991 Oakland Hills firestorm. Once he had obtained the commitment from Huey Lewis to perform, he returned to his helicopter. Flying in severe weather, with rain and gusty winds, the aircraft flew off course and too low over the tidal marshland north of San Pablo Bay. The Belljet Ranger flew directly into a 223-foot, 68-meter, high-voltage tower near where Highway 31, which runs between Vallejo, California, and Marin County, California, crosses Sonoma Creek. The helicopter burst into flames on impact, killing Graham, pilot and advance man Steve Killer Khan, and Graham's girlfriend Melissa Gold, ex-wife of author Herbert Gold. The charred remains of the helicopter hung eerily in the tower for more than a day. And uh, I've read Bill Graham's biography recently, and the saddest part of all this is that they had discussed uh, leaving the helicopter in the parking lot and taking ground transportation back, but sadly decided against it. So a very sad story, and I'm just so glad that Captain Dana got through his ordeal safely. So I don't end on such a depressing note. I have to say I really enjoyed Scottish Stu's uh, audio feedback. I could listen to him talk all day, and I understood what he was saying very well. The best accent this side of Captain Nick. So cheers, everyone. And I'm very much looking forward to the next New York meetup. Take care. All right, Tanya. She said in her feedback that she was nervous when she recorded this. Why? You don't oh, have to be nervous. Turned out great. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, lo- lo- lovely diction. Yeah, absolutely. You're kind of breaking up there, Nick. Uh, what did you say? Diction? Diction. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I, yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I said. Okay. Slap him, Steph. Slap him. No. Anyway. All right. Yeah, we agree. Uh, Stu's accent is awesome. Yeah. Well, Ivor doesn't agree, but uh, everybody else apparently does. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so I, I think that should wrap it up for solid show this week's episode. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And uh, we are terribly sorry that Dana wasn't able to. I mean, really feeling terrible about yeah. his brand new laptop 
MacBook. And right he now. was, you know, he was up all night and yeah. he's, you know. And I'm sure everyone can empathize with being tired, tired and frustrated and then something else happens and it just all builds on itself. Yeah. So we're hoping he gets a good night's sleep and is refreshed. And, and has a nice positive attitude tomorrow. And gets the laptop taken care of. Yeah. yeah. It, well, you know it what? Will. It'll I'm work itself out. This Everything is, always does. This is going to be a, a happy ending, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, but uh, Nick, thank you for staying up again so late. Oh, pleasure. Uh, nice and uh, I hope you have a great trip uh, to New York uh, mm-hmm. in the next few days. And uh, let's see, Steph, as always, a pleasure to uh, yeah. be with you in person. Absolutely. We're going to grab something to eat after Food. this. Yes. yes. We're going to go to the cowfish, I think. I think so. Yeah. Some sushi. Oh, that sounds good. And uh, if you want to learn more about the crew and the and the community, and uh, the show and the YouTube channel and other ways to listen to us. I mean, let's see, of course, iTunes and Stitcher Radio and oh, so many different things. Um, I can't think of them all right now. The app? The app. Oh, yeah. We have this app for both the Android and the iOS platforms. Go to your respective app store. Uh, I believe the Android one is on Google Play. And you can download the free app and it has no advertisements or anything else and you can you know set it up to receive push notifications so when we're you know planning and recording a show and when i release the uh edited uh you know published podcast uh, you, you're one of the first to be notified of that and uh just a it's a it's a great app and uh, you should check it out by downloading it going to the app store yeah what do you got to lose it takes up a little tiny bit of space on your on your smartphone um social media Social media. You can find us on social media on Twitter. That's at APG Crew and find a pinned uh, tweet at the top of that for all of our individual uh, Twitter accounts. If you have something to say to us individually. However, if you say something to the whole group, you'll get a reply from one of us. Um, You can also head over to Facebook, facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. There's information there about articles that we or the community find interesting and share there. Um, Meetup information sometimes is posted there. And other various assorted aviation-related stuff. Excellent. And uh, we have this other thing uh, we like to call our our perpetual chat room. uh, Information about uh, meetups and other random things. And hang on. Hello. Hello. You there? Yeah, it's time. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan meetups and events. To get into the Slack team... Please send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at HI11E1, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel at HI11E1, and see you in Slack. All right. Thank you. Okay. All right. You can. That's enough. See you. (laughs) See you next week. Next week. (laughs) Whenever that's going to be. So, uh, yeah. Anything else uh, before we shut this thing down? I, I don't think so. Yeah, how about uh, oh. inviting everyone to give us a, uh, a, a review on Apple iTunes. Podcast. Yeah, well, it's called Apple Podcast now, I think. Oh, is it? Okay. Ooh. Yeah, Okay. because it always helps pushes up the ratings. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. So people are out there looking for, you know, aviation podcasts. And if you uh, don't want to steer them away from our show, you can you can leave a review, a good review. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, as we, we like says, the good reviews, yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. you can send the uh, the other end of the spectrum reviews to HR. Yeah, 
And she'll handle them. I will take care of them. Yeah, yes, she'll, she'll definitely take care of them. <laughs> <laughs> we have a special file for those. Yes. 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 The round file? Yes. Circular. Okay. <laughs> circular file. That's fine. If you don't use iTunes, Glenn, you can still make a visit. Yeah, that's true. That is a good point. If you listen on Stitcher Radio or uh, TuneIn Radio and all of the other great platforms out there for listening to podcasts, you can still go over to or you know use the iTunes app uh, on your on your phone or your or computer. Even computer. Yep. Yeah, and it's free and uh, just just long enough to leave us a good review and then you can just delete it. <laughs> <laughs> the the app you mean? Yeah, not not, not the a review. Show, not the review. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. That'd be a waste of a lot of effort yeah. there. Yeah. Why would you do that? <laughs> Are you crazy? Anyway, uh, so um, I guess that's about it. So we're looking forward to being back again next week and uh, sharing with you more aviation geekdom. And until then, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. It ain't Boeing, I ain't going. Good day. I used to be such a good, good pilot. Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline, not a guy I fly I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline